I call this meeting to order at 5.09 p.m. Clerk, can you please take a roll call for attendance? Yeah, on the call to roll, Commissioner Wong. Present. Commissioner Wong, present. Commissioner Adair. Present. Commissioner Adair, present. Commissioner Loftus. Present. Commissioner Loftus, present. Commissioner Miller. Present. Commissioner Miller, present. Officer Lestana. Present. Officer Lestana, present. Uh, Commissioner Onish. Present. Commissioner Onish, present. Uh, Officer Utting. Present. Officer Utting, present. Uh, Commissioner uh, Collin. Present. Commissioner Collin, present. Uh, Commissioner Pimentel. Present. Commissioner Pimentel, present. Uh, Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Present. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, present. Officer Hum. Present. Officer Hum, present. Officer Shaw. Present. Officer Shaw, present. Uh, Commissioner M. Present. Commissioner M, present. Commissioner Hillman. Present. Commissioner Hillman, present. And then Commissioner Terrell. Present. Commissioner Terrell, present. And congratulations. Uh, and Chair Wynn. Present. Would present uh, with 16 present, you have a quorum. Great, looks like everyone is present today, so there will be no absences to excuse. Um, clerk, can you please call item number two? Yes, item number two is uh, communications. The minutes will reflect that the youth commission participated in this meeting in person with remote access. The commission recognizes that public access to city services is essential and invites public participation in the following ways. First, public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Comments or opportunities to speak during public comment period are available via phone call by calling 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2496-951-663, then pound and then pound again, or you can join us online through the WebEx system. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, please dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you've called in or if you're joining us via WebEx, you may also raise your hand in the app. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to the Youth Commission at youthcom at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, will be forwarded to the commissioners and be included as a part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 345, San Francisco, California, 94102. Those attending the meeting in person will have the opportunity to speak in public comment first before remote access. That concludes my communications. Great, thank you. Clerk, can you please call item number three? Item number three is approval of the agenda. So commissioners, please take this time to look over today's agenda. As a reminder, there's an expectation that everyone looks at the agenda prior to the meeting and I'll accept any motions whenever y'all are ready. Motion to approve the agenda, Commissioner Collin. Seconded by Commissioner Adair. Commissioner Collin motions to approve today's agenda, seconded by Commissioner Adair. Is there any discussion on this motion? Seeing none, is there any public comment? There's no public comment. Great, public comment is now closed. Clerk, can you please, or um, all those in favor of approving today's agenda, please say aye. 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 All those opposed say nay. Great, so it, the agenda passes. Clerk, can you please call item number four? Yes, item number four is approval of the minutes for the March 6, 2023 Full Youth Commission meeting. Commissioners, please take this time to look over the minutes from the meeting and I'll accept any motions when y'all are ready. Motion to approve. Seconded, Commissioner Collin. Commissioner Barker Plummer motions to approve the minutes. Seconded by Commissioner Collin. Is there any discussion on this motion? Seeing none, is there any public comment? 
There is no public comment. Great. All those in favor of approving the minutes, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, say nay. Great. So the minutes are passed. Clerk, can you please call item number five? Yes. Um, item number five is general public comment for matters under the jurisdiction of the Full Youth Commission, but not on today's agenda. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this matter should start to line up behind the podium and or press star three now if you're calling in remotely. Or if you're joining us via WebEx, you should also raise your hand in the app. Your cue to begin your comments will be you have been unmuted if you've called in, or you will hear two beeps if you join the meeting via WebEx. Uh, Madam Chair, you have uh, no public comment. Great, thank you. Public comment is now closed. Can you please call item number six? Yes, item number six is presentations, first from the Department of Recreation and Parks, followed by Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, then Department of Elections, and last, uh, Coleman Advocates. Great. Um, so starting off with the presentation from the Department of Recreation and Parks, um, we have Antonio Guerra, Director of Administration and Finance, and this is Nick Williams, Superintendent of Recreation. Great. Thank you, Nick, for joining us. Um, so you guys will have 10 minutes to present and 10 minutes for questions. Um, do you think that's enough time for you guys? Okay. Thank you so much. Feel free to start whenever you're ready. Good evening, Commissioners. My name is Nicholas Williams. I'm the Superintendent for Recreation and Community Services for San Francisco Recreation and Parks. It is my uh, privilege to stand before you this afternoon and share some information with you from Recreation and Parks. Um, the San Francisco Recreation and Parks mission is to provide enriching recreational activities, maintain beautiful parks, and preserve the environment for the well-being of everyone in our diverse community. Part of our vision is to create a more livable city for all and to foster parks that bring us closer to play, nature, and to each other. Our values revolve around respect, resilience, relationships, responsiveness, and results. Thus, our strategic plan aims to inspire public space, in, in, inspire play, to inspire investment, um, to inspire stewardship, and to inspire our team. Um, engaging youth is essential in achieving those goals, and we offer a myriad of youth in, initiatives that I will share with you now. The first one is our work creation program. It engages teenagers between the ages of 14 and 17 who either live in San Francisco or go to school in the city, and it provides them work opportunities with day camps, aquatic centers, in our administration offices, in our recreation centers, and in our parks. We also have the Green Agers program, which is an outdoor youth leadership program that offers early high school teens a chance to play an important role in the community by improving the city's green spaces through stewardship, engagement, and raising awareness. We have the Youth Stewardship Program. It engages youth um, between uh, second grade and 12th grade in, environment, in environmental education and service learning. That includes field trips in parks citywide, exposing urban students to an outdoor learning environment that is challenging um, both mentally and physically. Subjects include science, environmental education, local, natural, and cultural history, and social responsibility. We have a program entitled Requity that is a combination with the words recreation and equity. And it provides a free, dynamic, engaging, culturally relevant 
um, recreation programs to youth under the age of 18 that happen to be living in shelters, foster care, public housing, or other housing developments. And we provide intimate and um, relevant resources to those families um, to promote healthy and active lifestyles. In addition, we also have our Peace Parks programs, which promotes community wellness and violence prevention in underserved communities. Bayview, Hunters Point, Portola, uh, Visitacion Valley, and uh, Silver Terrace. And it has a focus on youth with the ages of 16 to 25. We also have the Tennis Learning Centers, which is a tennis-based after-school program that we run out of Golden Gate Park, um, Western Edition, Chinatown, Bayview, Hunters Point, and Excelsior. Um, in addition, we also run after-school programs um, at 14 of our um, playgrounds and recreation centers. These provide safe and nurturing environments for our youth in grades K through 5 to develop lifelong recreation and leisure skills. Uh, we have rec summer camps and other day camps. Uh, we have over 90 camps offered at over 50 one of our recreation centers, pools, parks, and clubhouses. And the ages range from our camps between 4 and 17. Uh, we run a program with, in, in conjunction with the mayor's office, which is our teen outdoor experience. It's an initiative designed to encourage youth to reconnect uh, with nature. And we have a camp facility up by Yosemite uh, Camp Mather that we take teenagers to. Uh, we run uh, the Baby United, which is a co-ed soccer program uh, predominantly for black youth. It's located in Bayview, and we have four teams that are currently playing uh, co-ed soccer out of the Bayview. We're really proud of that, and the kids are really proud of their accomplishments. And then finally, we have the Bayview Safety and Swim Splash program in conjunction with our efforts to rebuild the India Basin. The Bayview Swim and Splash guarantees that um, kids in the Bayview area will get um, water safety and um, learn to swim lessons so that when the India Basin is open, um, they can actually access the water safely. With that, I'll turn it over to our Director of Finance, Mr. Antonio Guerra. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I'm going to take the budget in two pieces. First, we're going to talk about the revenue side. So I know there's a lot of concern about the city's budget process and the fact that there's uh, potential budget cuts. Rec Park works a little bit differently. We have what's known as a baseline through Prop B, which means we get an additional $3 million of general fund every year. Plus, we have a dedicated open space fund, which is essentially um, a certain portion of property tax in the city and county of San Francisco. So this slide here is their trend in earned in program revenues, which is the third component of the revenues that we receive as a department. Um, this is everything from recreation fees, golf fees, anything where, and also includes marina fees where somebody has a boat in the marina. Um, what this shows, if you look at the far left blue bar, that is fiscal year 1819, the last year before the pandemic. That is $51.8 million that the department took in in actual revenue. And what you then see is a rather dramatic decline over the next two years. March 2020, the second bar, that was when we started to close. And so we weren't running programming. That is a hit to our revenue. The following year with full closure and health orders was $29.6 million. Uh, fiscal year 21-22, which is the uh, last fiscal year, we climbed up to where we used to be, but if you could imagine with inflation and other types of um, cost, we're really not where we should be. 
Um, the current budget has 57.9 million, um, and we are expecting in fiscal year 23-24 uh, a growth of uh, I think that says 63.1 million. I guess I'm getting older and my eyes are failing me uh, <laughs> by 64.6 in 24-25, as this is a two-year budget submission. If you could take us to the next slide. Our revenue is made up of the three sources that I mentioned, the general fund, open space, and the earned and program revenue that we uh, derive from our services. The one thing I want to point out on this pie chart, since this is a two-year budget, capital pro projects uh, tend to be very lumpy. And in this case, it is really, really lumpy because uh, next year we're going to be budgeting a $105 million appropriation for work at the East Harbor in the Marina District. It is uh, an effort to renovate, um, provide environmental remediation, and add new recreational opportunities, um, which is paid for through a, P a settlement agreement with PG&E. Because of that, and that $105 million, year one looks very, very large with capital projects, followed by year two of the budget in 24-25 being more of the one-third, one-third, one-third that we usually associate with rec park revenue. The next piece of the presentation is the expenditure budget. And you can just go ahead and move on to those slides. Um, same deal with the pie chart here. What this shows is a very, very large blue marina pie in year one that gets drastically shrunk down in year two. I think the better reflection of our budget is the second pie chart in fiscal year 24-25. Um, what you can see is that parks and open space is 47% of our budget followed by recreation at 17%. Structural maintenance and uh, I think that's his capital and planning are the, the other two chunks at 12% each. Uh, next slide. The other way to look at our, our budget is through what we actually spend money on. And so once again, year one has a large capital outlay, um, which is not only the $105 million, but we have $15 million of uh, general fund baseline, which supports maintenance as well as uh, charter mandated capital expenses in our open space fund. Um, but really year two is more of the normal look at our budget. Uh, basically what you see between salary and fringe, we spend our money on people. People are who uh, provide uh, the services that you see out in the field. They're the gardeners and the custodians keeping our parks clean. They're the people who are teaching Zumba classes. They're the people running the day camps. So we are at our core a group of people who deliver services to the city and county of San Francisco. The other large pie chart um, slice of the year two um, pie chart that I'd point out, work orders, I think that says about 14% there. A good third of that work order budget is our agreements with the SFPC for utilities, which are going drastically up, unfortunately, over the next few years. We also have non-personnel and cap capital outlay there in terms of the account in year two. Um, next slide. Our proposed budget investments, and I, I think we're bumping up on the 10 minutes and I want to be uh, conscious of time, but we split this up into budget investments for youth since this is the Youth Commission. Uh, in both years, we're going to be increasing funding for recreation programming, uh, $500,000 in fiscal year 23-24, followed by a million in 24-25. That funding is essentially funds the staff that does the programmatic work out in the field, uh, day camps, Mather, it's our rec leader program. And on the next slide, what we have are some uh, investments within Requity itself. 
So we have additional funding for Bayview Sw Safety Swim and Splash, uh, funding for staffing at Margaret Hayward Clubhouse, uh, an additional rec coordinator along with some other positions, as well as $40,000 for the Junior Warriors because uh, that has been a very popular program. We also have additional positions um, for 900 Innis, which is a capital project that is in the southeast that will be opening soon, as well as HERS Playground Rec Center. We need additional staff as those projects are completed. Uh, the following slide shows some other budget investments. Ah, and we got a new picture, so <laughs> that's great. Um, some of the other things we're doing in the department that aren't necessarily directly impacting youth. Capital and planning, we're adding some positions to support the health and recovery bond that was just approved by voters in 2020. It's a well over $200 million program that uh, is going to renovate and build new parks throughout the city. Mission Bay Parks, um, the, the, this is open space near Chase Center and the or Oracle Park. Um, those parks are scheduled to come to us and we're, so we're making some staffing and funding investments in year one of this budget. And as you can see, there's volleyball underneath the freeway. That is part of the Mission Bay Park system. Um, additionally, we're requesting from the mayor's office uh, new park rangers. Um, and that is not going to be funded with our own internal funding. That's a request. We also have a recovery of the local economy with focus of downtown and economic core as one of the mayor priorities. And so we're also going to be um, looking to invest in the partnerships division to support community outreach and philanthropic opportunities. I think we have one more slide. Um, this is broken up into mayoral priorities, um, reducing homelessness and transforming mental health service delivery. One of the things our rangers do is really engage um, peace, uh, people who are uh, unhoused in our parks and try to work with them and get them in contact with the homeless outreach team. We also have a disability access coordinator position uh, upgrade in our budget to support our um, programmatic and facility access uh, programs, counting technologies to understand who comes to our parks and the activities in our parks. We often have these large events like World Cup viewings and we want to know like, how many people are coming. Uh, and then finally we have some investments in our human resources team to bolster our hiring during times of uh, really busy uh, periods like summer. I think that's our presentation and so um, I guess I'll leave it in saying that uh, the general manager really intended to come tonight, and he is having dinner with his parents, so he sends his apology. <laughs> he's, he, uh, he, he said he didn't want to break his dinner plans with them for a third time, so he's very sorry. And he was like, can I go in on Teams? We're like, Phil, we got it. But uh, I think uh, next year, if you ask us back again, we're happy to bring you back. Great. Well, thank you so much for your presentation. And that is valid. Family time is very important. So you're all good. But thank you guys so much for your time today. Um, now we're going to open it up to commissioners if you guys have any questions. Yeah, Commissioner Miller. Great. Well, um, thank you so much for coming tonight, um, Nick and Antonio. Um, I really enjoyed your presentation. Um, I think I maybe I attended like a budget town hall a few maybe a month ago. Um, and we talked about it then, but I was just curious if maybe, um, I don't know, maybe, um, I know Nick wasn't at that, so maybe he has like a answer to this, but um, I know before the pandemic, you know, some of the pools and the recreation centers, they used to be open seven days a week, um, including, you know, on Sunday and Monday when they're currently closed. But, you know, during the pandemic, it shifted to 
five days a week. And I know like Sunday for like young people who are in school Monday through Friday, that's a big day for them to be accessing, you know, these services. So is there any like consideration to like reopening um, these pools and recreation centers on Sunday? Uh, thank you, Commissioner. That's a fantastic question. Currently, the pools are open from Tuesday through Saturday, so we've added um, the extra five days. Um, we have um, proposals to um, to expand, um, but we're still in discussions about that. Um, it won't happen this budget cycle, um, but the plan is uh, possibly next budget cycle to be open either on Sundays or Mondays, but we'll bring that information back to next budget cycle. So by like next budget cycle, would that be like starting in the summer of 2024 or in 2025? Um, it's a two-year cycle, so. It, it's 2024, because it's a rolling two years, so. I see. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Thank you. Um, I have two questions. The first is a quick question around the marina funding. Is that, does that have to do with the Aquatic Park Cove, or is that? No, the Aquatic Park Cove is actually uh, federal land okay. uh, underneath the National Park Service. So if you, if you know your compass directions, you go a little bit further west mm -hmm. past Fort Mason, there's another marina right there on the edge, and that right there is what is about to be redeveloped. And, um, Next to Fort Mason? Yeah, okay. Fort, there's a Safeway across the yeah. street. Yeah. Um, and then my second question might go more to you. Um, so I recently was on a like town hall call with um, parents in on San Francisco's west side, and one of the issues that they brought up was priority registration for camps for kids with disabilities and how that had changed. I think it was originally one policy with summer together over the past two years, I want to say. It had changed, and then now it's changed back, and it turns out that, that the change that had happened with summer together had been quite beneficial for these families with disabled. Um, kids having priority and, and how they were able to qualify for that. Um, and they also were concerned about the way that it was communicated sort of last minute to them. So I'm wondering if you can, can talk about that and if not you, if there's someone else I can follow up in the department to make sure that we make policies that are easy for these families to, to, to utilize and to make sure that they do get the priority that they need for summer services. Thank you, sir. That's also an excellent question. The priority registration is actually reserved for families who are on scholarship. Mm -hmm. And so um, the reason that we do that is because families that are on scholarship oftentimes uh, miss out on the opportunity to register because um, our classes are very uh, competitive. Uh, they, they usually sell out. And so families on scholarship often don't have the opportunity to participate in the classes that they choose. And so um, we did um, consider um, students with disabilities to have priority registration. We can continue that conversation but right now the policy is, is for priorities for those families that have scholarship. Yeah, and I would appreciate following up on that as well. I think that that's an important area to look at. Thank you, sir. Any other questions? Yeah, go ahead. I have another question. Um, one of the priorities that the Youth Commission has um, voted on earlier this year is um, access, as you mentioned, to Camp Mather, which is this you know, really lovely you know, resource that the department does invest in, but you know it's not in San Francisco. So uh, you know one third of households in the city, you know, don't have access to a car. So I'm just curious, you know, when you're talking about like equity, has there been any like looking into like providing transportation for families to access Camp Mather? Because right now that's a big barrier to participation. That's another fantastic question. Uh, access is a problem in uh, throughout the city. 
um, we realize that sometimes equity means moving kids to different parts of town to see different things. Um, we work with community organizations. Um, if there are, we don't currently have an opportunity to provide transportation to Mather, but if there are families that are facing barriers of transportation, uh, we would invite them to seek us directly and we can try to find um, opportunities or partnerships to help them get to Mather. Yeah, that would be great. I actually um, called and inquired with the Camp Mather desk a few weeks ago just to see if they knew of anything that was available and they told me that there basically was no way for me to visit Camp Mather if I didn't have access to a car. So it, it would be really great if um, in future budget cycles that was something the department looked into, even if it was just for one of the summer session weeks, just providing some opportunity for people without a car to access Camp Mather. Uh, great comment. One of se several of our weeks are there's a senior week and we provide transportation for the seniors and there's also the teen outdoor enrichment week and we provide um, transportation for that. The others would be uh, individual circumstances and we invite those families to call us. Great. Thank you so much for answering our questions. Are there any other questions from commissioners? Um, if not, I was curious. This is kind of a random question, not really related. But um, you guys are in charge of the Golden Gate Park shuttle, right? I was just curious, like, what the ridership on that has been, um, and do you think it's been proven effective? You know, I, I don't have the ridership data in front of me now. I know that it's been effective in terms of having a shuttle that was somewhat sporadic in nature. We just had a new uh, supplier come that has guaranteed 15-minute intervals. If you look on Google Maps, you can actually see the connection right now. Uh, I believe we're currently working on having real-time data. I don't think that's fully implemented yet. Um, so I think in terms of advertising it and having regular stops, it's been a success. Um, but the, the data information, I do believe when we started the increase in, um, in, increase in having the shuttles uh, last year, more people were writing. Um, but that's totally not a random question at all. It's actually, you know, we spent, I want to say, it cost us about $600,000 to yeah. ensure that we were having daily service throughout mm -hmm. the entire week and that people who as with the closure of JFK and turning it into a pedestrian area, that there would be access to the various sites for, um, and that that would remain accessible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just curious, just because like every time in, I'm in Golden Gate Park, I never see anyone riding it. So I was just wondering like where the money was going and if it's like really an effective solution, especially because like, you know, most people on JFK are like biking or walking. So having a random shuttle there with no people on it could cause more harm than do any good. Um, but yeah, thank you for answering my question. Yeah. And when you guys have that data, I'll be sure to be in touch. Yeah, we, I sh we should have some. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. One of the pickup locations is right at the McLaren Lodge. And generally, there are three or four people, oftentimes seniors, that are sitting on that bench waiting for the shuttle. So mm. if you, there's a, uh, sometimes the usership starts at the McLaren Lodge. So if you're doing um, some research and want to look, um, check it out. You can. Um, look and probably find seniors and people with uh, small children and they generally leave from the lodge. Oh cool, I didn't know that, thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, Lestana. Uh, um, I had a question, so I was just wondering like for the youth programs, like how you do outreach for these programs, especially because you mentioned like how you have priority for low income student to students on scholarships, so like especially for those types of, or like for low income youth, um, yeah. 
I'm sorry, ma'am. I didn't fully understand the question. I was just wondering how you do outreach to get more like low-income youth involved in these programs. Um, so we do uh, outreach through uh, majority of our outreach for low income or, or children that are in disparities are through our recreate program. And so we go into um, foster homes, uh, public housing, and other areas where disparities lie and then do personal recruitment with families, um, helping them to find the resources or providing scholarships so that they can participate in our recreational programs. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Shaw. I was just curious, um, because it's on the screen right now, uh, you all offer a majority and a plethora of youth initiatives, and so I was just curious to hear more on how you prioritize adding extra funding to certain youth initiatives and programs, as uh, you all mentioned, for instance, Baby Safety, Swim and Splash. I was just curious to hear that process. Uh, yeah, in general, we have an internal budget process where um, People like uh, the superintendent of recreation submit ideas on ways we can uh, bolster the budget, uh, as well as all the other um, yeah, members of the leadership team. And it's really just a thought process where we hear uh, it's either um, community engagement or actual activity, like in the case of Junior Warriors, where we knew that there was a demand, then that became kind of at the top of the list. Um, it's a variety of ways, and it's usually just from talking to our staff, and then if the funding is available, then we're able to go ahead and fund that. So, yeah. Got it. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for answering all of our questions. I believe time for questions is up, but if we have any further questions, we'll be sure to email you guys. But, yeah, thank you for coming in person and speaking to us. Really appreciate it. Okay. Um, so... Presentation number two is from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. Um, is Gigi present? No, okay. Um, the uh, we are ahead of the schedule. Um, they're not scheduled until 555. 55? Oh, okay. Yeah, because uh, we, we were supposed to do a presentation starting at 530. Okay. So we're running ahead of time. All right, let's just, um, is anyone, I got it. <laughs> is anyone from the Department of Elections here? Third. Coleman Advocates. Yeah, uh, Co-Executive Director Chris Ballard is here. Okay, um, would you feel ready to give your presentation now? Okay, thank you for being flexible. Okay, well, um, you have 10 minutes to present and 10 minutes for Q&A. Does that sound okay to you? That sounds good, sounds Great. good. Feels good to be up here too, hear <laughs> my voice. Um, let's see, uh, before I start, I do just wanna give you all just some love and appreciation uh, for serving the city, right? When I was 21 years old or 22, I chaired the planning commission of the city I'm from. Right, and I made big decisions, important decisions, and I changed people's lives. So to be here in front of you, I see you doing the same thing. So thank you, thank you. Uh, I will get started. Uh, Chris Ballard, I'm the co-ED uh, over at Coleman Advocates. Uh, co-ED just means I'm one of two executive directors of Coleman Advocates. 
Joy, you can scroll down. So who, who are we? I think some of you may know who we are. We've had some presentations in the past. Uh, Coleman Bills, the leadership and power of low income and working class black indigenous people of color, children, youth, and families in San Francisco to advance racial and economic justice uh, in our schools and in our city. Uh, black, brown, intergenerational unity. Folks, that's what we're about. That's what we push over at Coleman. Uh, we've got four programs. Uh, CMAC, Children Making a Change. We teach kids from age four to about 13 about equity, about social justice, right? Uh, we have Youth Making a Change, which is our YMAC program, uh, which is programming in our high schools in San Francisco. And then also Parents Making a Change, which is for parents. And then Students Making a Change is SMAC, which represents our city college students uh, in San Francisco. Uh, let's see, our systems change approach Okay, folks, this is what we're kind of trying to fight against, right? So we've been around for 48 years in San Francisco. Uh, we have been fighting against systemic oppression uh, for the longest time, right? Uh, STPP, anyone knows what that means, what that stands for? School to prison pipeline, right? That's what we're really fighting against. Um, a few bullet points in terms of what we're doing, building a base and developing leaders. Uh, organizing. We're community organizers. That's what I do, organize, right? Um, uh, engaging and educating voters. Uh, civic engagement is big. Big election year coming up next year. Politics is heavy. Uh, monitoring systems and policies and then building alliances, coalitions. You can't make change by yourself, right? Uh, next, please, Joy. Thank you. Key accomplishments, folks, we have a lot. We've been around for 48 years, 48 years. Uh, we passed the first parcel tax in San Francisco that allocated property taxes into the SFUSD education budget, right? Long time ago. Uh, also, uh, Children's, Amendment, Children's Amendment, DCYF, um, College and Career for All Policy, SF Parent Advisory Council. Uh, we helped start up seven school-based wellness centers in SFUSD, and that's not enough, right? We all know that's not enough. Um, we created and institu institutionalized the SF Youth Vote Program, SF Youth Commission. SF Plus. Youth Commission? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. Um, <laughs> passage of the landmark safe and supportive schools resolution, um, closing juvenile hall, um, trying to dismantle the MOU between police and our school district, uh, as well as Prop G. Okay, folks, let, so he, here's the thing, right? Um, we put in some data just to kind of highlight where we are in the district in terms of enrollment and declining enrollment uh, in SFUSD. Right. Uh, a couple of uh, points I want you to look at. Uh, the dark blue, the very top African-American enrollment, you'll see in 2015, before the pandemic, uh, we had about 5,465 students enrolled in the district. You look at last year's data, the numbers went down 
uh, a little more than a thousand students, right? Four thousand seventy-five students. Also, pay attention to our native population and our Pacific Islander population. Folks, they are really the most forgotten populations in the district, and they are suffering and being pushed out. The data, oh, oh, I'm sorry about that. Did you not hear anything I said? No, we heard okay. no, <laughs> everything, Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's okay. okay. Um, the data, folks, uh, the data. Um, we can go to the next one, Joy. Ooh, absenteeism rates. <clears throat> it, it's hard to it's hard to make it in life when you don't even go to school, right? So many barriers, folks, to kids going to school. Um, absenteeism rates. I'll tell you, I went to two back to school nights, um, and I did a compare and contrast, right? Back to school nights, right? Two elementary schools, one in the Bayview and one in Excelsior. One a high-performance school, one a very low-performance school. I went to the back-to-school nights, the Bayview school, empty. Empty, right? Crickets. It was just the saddest thing I've seen in a while. I went to the Excelsior school, lively, beautiful celebration. Parents, children, laughing, happy, enjoying the fact that they're getting a quality education, right? Contrast, keep in mind the contrast. Absenteeism rates, folks, are Pacific Islander students uh, on average 36.4 days absent, right? 64.6% chronically absent. Um, African-American kids, 33.8 days absent versus our Latino students, 23.3 uh, days absent. Next slide, please. Um, this is just a, a just a graph, just to highlight the the data I just went over. So you can go to the next slide. Suspensions, folks. Um, this is another big uh, focus of ours in the district. Uh, we led a campaign, uh, solutions, not suspensions, a uh, few years back in San Francisco. And while over the last um, over the last five, six years, suspensions have actually gone down in the district, right? But the disparity rests within our black African-American students because they still represent an overwhelming majority of the kids still being suspended, right? Uh, next slide, please. Uh, student population, folks, uh, this is a no-brainer, right? If you don't go to school, if you have too many barriers, it's very unlikely you're going to go to college, whether it's a CSU or a UC, right? If you're not in school, you're not going. I do want to point out the, the, the yellow line at the end that shows a stark drop. Uh, who, what racial or what group does that line represent? I think it's the American Indian. Our native students almost non-existent going to college out of San Francisco, right? Non-existent. Uh, next slide, please, Joy. Thank you. Okay, folks, so what are we doing? Uh, in terms of our youth, we've partnered with five elements. We've partnered with uh, Young Women's Freedom Center. We are called the Reimagine Youth Justice SF Coalition. Uh, the vision um, is a radical vision to build a different support ecosystem uh, for youth that is community-driven focused. 
um, that creates new opportunities for success. Uh, here is the mission statement for uh, the RYJ Coalition. Uh, I'm not going to read it, but uh, this is the North Star that kind of keeps the work focused uh, and it holds the values and the missions uh, of the work. And a few bullet points, folks, in terms of what we're working on or what kind of centers us. Youth and family, youth leadership, uh, folks try not to compromise on our demands, uh, prevention, not, perform, not reforms, health, healing, uh, mental health, quality and cultural relevant education, and support systems. So what is next? What is next? Um, it, are you all familiar with what's going on in LA at the moment? Los Angeles Unified? So starting tomorrow, they are going to strike. And starting tomorrow, um, they will likely shut down LA Unified School District, the largest district in California, right? As of today, the superintendent was meeting with staff to set up uh, centers. Oh, is that me, Joy? Yes. That's good. Gotcha. Please keep going. Thank you. Yeah. To, they, they set the, the superintendent set up centers at local YMCAs uh, as food outlets for students who are low income, who if school shuts down, they won't have access to breakfast, they won't have access to lunch, right? This is going to happen tomorrow, right? Uh, folks are striking in, in LA because teachers are underpaid, uh, um, contract workers also underpaid, right? Um, and I say that to say this. LA Unified has been in the news this week, and they've kind of drowned out San Francisco, right? But I, I do want to highlight that we are struggling in San Francisco, right? We all know what's going on. We, we know that safety is a big deal right now in the district, right? Kids are getting jumped on and off campus. We have intruders walking into bathrooms, assaulting our children, right? And the issues continue to pile, right? Uh, but um, what we're doing, uh, a couple of things just to make sure we're addressing the harms, right? We're reimagining safety and wellness, right? Um, when it comes to um, uh, crime or violence at schools, the first response should not be, be police. Right? The first response should be wellness. The response should be conflict mediation. The response should be mental health, right? Alternatives to safety and wellness. Uh, supports uh, and violence mediation. Uh, we're also working on a DA accountability coalition, right? Trying to make sure that we're not pushing our students into the school to prison pipeline, but taking them aside giving them alternatives to address their needs so they can be successful and eventually sit on panels just like each of you to be impressive and to make positive impact, right? That's what we're doing, folks. Uh, Joy, is that it? Oh, okay, oh, I got it, okay. So this, is, this sums it up. We are building a city of hope, justice, and opportunity for children, youth, and our families. Great, thank you so much. Um, do commissioners have any questions for Chris?
I'll take a question, please. Um, first of all, thank you so much for presenting here. Um, just have a question about, because um, you mentioned in your core values about you know making non-compromising demands. Yes. But at the same time, we've seen um, the you know the the results that you've had and what you plan to do in the future. So I'm just wondering, like, how does your organization balance those like core demands with actually like reaching out to other people and you know making the compromise that's inherent to actually getting things done? No, that 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 that's well said. Um, but keep in mind, I, I, I will say this. Uh, when it comes to the experts on youth issues, youth are the experts. And um, whether it's the DA or the mayor or the board of supervisors, they should be coming to you all for solutions. So when we say non-compromising on demands, it's demands from our youth who are the true experts in the work. But you got to know politics. Right? If you want to maneuver, if you want to get legislation passed, et cetera, et cetera, you have to politic. Um, do you want to, Commissioner Miller? Sure. Um, I had another question. Um, I know you talked about like declining enrollment in like SFUSD and like the chronic absenteeism. Yeah. Like, does Coleman Advocates have y'all like um, like through like talking to like the youth in your programs or like you know other like outreach? Have you like developed like potential solutions on how to address that? Well, you, listen. The the reality is, if you want students to go to school, you have to systematically attack every barrier that stops them from being in school. Right? Whether that's a stable household, right? Whether that's clean clothes, basic necessities, right? Our students, we have students who don't go to school just because they have dirty clothes, right? Transportation is another one, right? Uh, living in low socioeconomic uh, environments where crime is high, some kids are afraid to go to school. And when they get to school, they don't feel safe. They get jumped, they get pushed out. They have educators who sometimes don't listen to them and sometimes don't even see them, right? The key to killing and destroying absenteeism is to attack the barriers, right? True wraparound services is how you attack those barriers. Now that costs a lot of money, right? <laughs> and that's a lot of work. And some people don't wanna spend that money or do that work, but not us. What do you think would be like some like first steps to like getting there? Like what, what could we advocate for today? Um, I, I, I don't want to speak out of turn. I, I do think, uh, I, I do want to follow up and have you all meet with our YMAC program, which is our youth who, who really center the messaging and really give us the solutions to these questions, right? So I do think there's room for follow up. Um, I, I, I will say, when you look at Los Angeles Unified, they also have a new superintendent, right? He's been on the job a year ahead of our new superintendent, right? And it doesn't sound like he's doing too well out there, right? Um, <laughs> uh, at, at the moment, Dr. Wayne has shown a lot of interest in, in trying to attack these issues, right? So we're trying to kind of build this bridge with the superintendent and some of our newer uh, board members as well to attack these issues, right? So for me, I'm not so much concerned that we won't address these issues. For me, it's more about timing and then making, for, making sure we have the right framing when we do address these issues, right? But I do want you all to meet with YMAC, right, to, to, to talk through some of these specifics. Great.
Commissioner Barker Plummer. Thank you. Um, does Coleman Advocates receive funding from the city? DCYF, yes. Okay. Yes, a, a small uh, a small percentage, but yes, we do. Yes. Okay. Yep. I'm wondering, you know, with the political advocacy that you all do, how you're ensuring that city funding isn't being spent on political advocacy. Say, say that again for me. I didn't hear you. I'm wondering how you ensure that funding that you receive from DCYF and receive from the city isn't being spent on political issues. We, we so we so we don't we don't um, we don't endorse candidates, right? We don't get engaged politically that way. So I'm also the executive director of Coleman Action Fund which is our C4 mm -hmm. organization, and we do the politics, right? We endorse politicians, uh, we fight for propositions, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm wondering yeah. if we can go back to the, like, I don't know, it was one or two slides before. Yeah. I think it was, what's next? Um, yeah. Many of these I'm, I'm very supportive of, but I'm wondering, you know, lobbying for things like closure of juvenile hall, um, and you know, sort of conflict media, like these all seem like political issues that you're lobbying organizations and people on, even if it's community-based lobbying. So I don't know what the legal requirement is, but how do you make sure that, um, that I mean, I, I, I ask because we, we have a new story in San Francisco of another political organization, mm. uh, nonprofit housing organization, who it turns okay. out were able to refinance their funds multiple times and then spent it directly on political advocacy. So it's yeah. something I think we should be asking all of our organizations um, looking yeah. forward. Those are, those are good questions. Yeah, we, we, we organize. We don't, we don't lobby. That, that's what I'd say to that. And, and those, those are good questions. And I love the questions you all uh, were put in. Uh, was were the two guys uh, Antonio and Nate? I think you put them under fire. So I love I love the questions, but but we organize. We don't lobby. We organize. We don't lobby. When we do do civic engagement, our folks volunteer. Right when it comes to propositions or resolutions, um, but we do draw the fine line. And and I'm happy to follow up with you too if you have more questions as well. Yeah, and I think that might be a conversation to involve DCYF in as well. This is not just with your organization. This is with all of them gotcha. as, as we're looking forward, because there's been a couple of different issues with DCYF funding okay. that we wanted to look into as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we can definitely chat. Yeah. Any other questions from commissioners? Three minutes. If not, I had one. Um, I was wondering about like points of collaboration with Coleman Advocates and yep. Um, the Youth Commission, like in the past, we've partnered on a lot of things, especially Vote 16. Um, but currently, we are hoping to get Vote 16 on the 2024 ballot, um, and we've been working on alternatives to youth incarceration. Um, we did a lot of research on Juvenile Hall for our budget and policy priorities. So I was wondering, like, what you think collaboration would look like in, you know, this next term with um, the Youth Commission and Coleman Advocates and how we can support the work that you guys are doing with any of these things. Yeah, you know, I think we need to work more closely together, right? I think when I see you all, I want to make sure that you get in a full lens of the city, of the politics and the power at play, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I do think, um, you know, there's a lot of room for growth with us, right? And I do have to tell you, I'm actually pretty new, right? I don't think I said that to you, right? I, I, I actually, I actually just started at Coleman last year as the ED, but I was with Coleman 2011, way back when. Then I went to law school, then I was a professor, then I uh, did the politics, and I just came back to Coleman as the ED. So I left, and then I 
came back home. Uh, but I think there's a lot of room for growth. And for me, it really is having regular meetings between us, right? Collaborating, looking at the issues in the city, getting ready for next year, and, and trying to make the best moves uh, uh, together, right? Mm -hmm. So a set time, a set date, a set place, and working together. Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely see a lot of alignment in both of our missions. And right now, the Youth Commission is kind of like working on restarting everything that we've worked on in the past, especially with Vote 16 um, and Juvenile Hall. So yeah, that's, that's a great idea. We'll definitely have staff coordinate meetings so that we can stay updated on what you guys are working on. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Love it. But any other final questions? Uh, you all are very impressive. Keep, keep going. When the going gets tough, just dust your shoulders off. Keep on going, all right? Thank you. Thank appreciate you so much, Chris, for your you. time. Really appreciate it. Great. Um, so now we can move to the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing presentation. Is Gigi there? Okay. Um, is anyone from the Department of Elections present? We're, we're having momentary technical difficulties. Um. There we go. Good evening, Commissioners. This is Emily Cohen from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing here on behalf of Gigi Whitley. Hello. Thank you so much for coming and presenting to us um, on last minute call. Uh, are you ready to present? I am. Okay. Thank you. Does 10 minutes for presentation and 10 minutes for Q&A sound good to you? Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay. Great. Feel free to start whenever you're ready. We'll pull up the presentation right now. Um, you should have presenting power. Oh, oh there you yeah. go. There we go. Okay. Um, fantastic. Can everyone see the slides? Yeah. Great. Good evening, uh, commissioners. Thank you very much for having me. My name is Emily Cohen. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm the Deputy Director for Communications and Legislative Affairs at the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. And I'm here tonight to present uh, on our budget, our upcoming budget, and to hear your thoughts and input on that and to answer any questions that you all might have. So. Quite short. There we go. Our budget overview over the last few years, as you can see here, citywide spending on the issue of homelessness has increased significantly since our department was launched in fiscal year 16-17. This large spike in FY 2021 was due to many of the COVID relief programs that were being implemented, as well as the beginning of the Our City, Our Home Fund, which was is the local gross receipts tax dedicated to addressing homelessness. Prop C, or Our City, Our Home, is the, the funding that you see here on top of the federal and the federal funding and general funds that make up our overall city budget for homelessness. In fiscal year 22-23 and 23-24, sorry, I'm not sure why my slides aren't. 
progressing. But um, you can see here that our service, our budget is broken down into multiple service categories. And the vast majority of our budget is spent on housing. 62% of our resources are spent to end homelessness for folks, right? This is, for some people, this is a short-term rental subsidy, and for others, this is ongoing or permanent housing. And this is for, you know, this covers about 10 to 14,000 households who are no longer homeless, but continue to receive housing assistance from our department. About 20% of our budget is spent on temporary shelter, 8% on prevention, 2% on outreach, 1% on coordinated entry, and about 7% on program delivery and personnel. So we're very lean. In terms of the, the population served by our programming, it roughly breaks down to how the population of people experiencing homelessness are broken down with about 82%. Um, excuse me, sorry. Yeah. Um, it seems that we can't see the slides that you're presenting. It's stuck on the budget over the years slide. Okay, let me stop and reset. Thank you. Thank you, I appreciate you letting me know. Awesome, it's moving, thank you. Here we go, movement. So this is the program service type as I just discussed, and then population as I was discussing. About 82% of our budget is spent to serve adults, about 10% is spent to serve families, and about 8% is spent to serve youth. We have some, in the last couple of years, have some new programming rolling out for young adults. Uh, we have 40 new hotel vouchers, which is a new program. It's a kind of a shelter alternative that just launched. Uh, we have served so far 150 transitional aged youth within our emergency housing voucher program, which is a new uh, tenant-based subsidy program. We have expanded our flexible financial assistance and our problem-solving resources for young adults. We've opened two new supportive housing sites at the Mission Inn and Casa Esperanza. And we launched an Ending Transgender Homelessness Initiative, which calls for a specific housing program for trans young adults. And that is in the planning process. Now I wanna trans transition a little bit to more of the citywide budget. As you have likely heard, the city is anticipating a really significant general fund deficit of about $700 million over the next two fiscal years. Given this projected deficit, the mayor's budget office sent instructions to departments to propose ongoing general fund reductions for all departments. So for HSH, that would mean a $13 million cut in year one and a $21 million cut in year two. While at the same time, we received instructions to maintain the mayoral initiatives and priorities, which do include addressing homelessness. So our proposed budget did not include general funding, general fund re reductions or staffing cuts because of the high priority of this work. However, we solved for our budget deficit through proposed revenue enhancements. So looking at different types of funding that we can pull in to offset those costs rather than making program cuts. We are also seeing a decline in 
in prophecy revenue over the next two years, a reduction of at least $47 million compared to FY2224 budget. Um, this is based off of controller's office projections. We're also seeing a shortfall in the care not cash revenue, which is another funding source of ours, and an expiration of time limited or one-time state funding. We relied heavily on COVID one-time relief funds to expand the shelter-in-place hotels and to convert some to ongoing non-congregate shelter, and those resources are also coming to an end. So, despite these challenging budget per outlooks, HSH does have really important budget priorities that we are looking to fund and looking to include in our programming. So the first is a significant investment in equity across the homeless response system. We want to expand funding for capacity building for BIPOC providers. We want to invest in wage equity and wage enhancements, specifically for janitors within our shelter system. And um, enhance nonprofit equity and sustainability measures based on provider input. So we've been doing a lot of work with providers to understand the challenges that they face. We also need to expand the homelessness response system to meet our two-year goals and projections by adding shelter, housing, outreach, and prevention services. And then we also wanna focus on improving quality and access to our programs. So this includes adding capital funds to improve shelter and housing, enhancing behavioral health services, particularly for sheltered guests, expanding money management services for supportive housing guests, and adding uh, housing quality standard inspectors to our work so that we can uh, maintain higher quality, higher quality of the units within our housing portfolio. As I mentioned before, the RCDR home or Prop C budget is also facing a deficit. However, this has a this budget has a slightly different timeline than the general fund budget. So we will we did not submit an RCDR home proposed budget to the mayor when we submitted our general fund budget. We are right now meeting with committee liaisons. In March this month, we are up, we will get updated revenue projections and then present departmental proposals in April. And in late April, we will take recommendations from the RCDR Home Committee. Our goal is to minimize the impact of any revenue shortfall on the current homeless response system and to preserve the investments that were already approved in last year's budget process. The budget timeline, some of these things have already passed, like our February 21st submission, March and May, that March through May is the mayor's sort of budget phase. We are anticipating revised Prop C revenue projections later this week. In April, we will be presenting our Prop C budget to the RCDR Home Oversight Committee. In June, the mayor will release her proposed budget and budget hearings sort of mid-June and July, the board will adopt its final budget. I'm happy to stop here and answer any questions that you all might have. Great, thank you so much for that presentation. Um, do commissioners have any questions? Um, uh, I'll take a question. Um, 
Earlier you mentioned the um, Ending Trans um, Youth Homelessness Initiative. Um, I was wondering like what um, specific um, factors does your department consider in like how to, how to address homelessness among trans youth in particular and, and end it because I know that they make up you know, a disproportionate amount of youth homelessness in San Francisco and they sort of need different fixes than other groups. Yeah, thank you very much for that question. Trans and gender nonconforming people experience homelessness at disproportionately high rates, particularly among young people, although really across the age spectrum. And they're one of the most vulnerable populations experiencing homelessness. So we have recently opened our first trans-focused navigation center in partnership with the St. James Infirmary, and it's called the Taman Bhutan Navigation Center. We're really excited about the work to provide safe shelter in a place that is affirming and supporting of our trans siblings. And then the Ending Trans Homelessness Initiative really focuses on enhancing capacity among service providers, particularly working with the trans community, trans and gender nonconforming community, by making uh, housing subsidies available to this community and providing a project-based supportive housing um, project-based supportive housing for TGNC youth. So the whole initiative is not just focused on youth, although the supportive housing component would be focused for youth. And what we see here is a slightly different service need from other young people or other folks experiencing homelessness in terms of gender-affirming healthcare, uh, cultural competency and cultural responsiveness of the service provider is critical. There's a deep lack of trust of systems and government, and in some cases even nonprofits, since we really want to make sure that we're working with organizations that are run by and staffed by trans and gender nonconforming people to provide the most culturally competent and culturally responsive care to the community. Thank you. Thank you. Miller? I had some questions. Um, obviously, I would say that, um, you know, your department is working on some of the, you know, most important, you know, this is one of the, if not the top priority in the city right now, addressing homelessness. But, you know, I, I think there's definitely a lot of concerns around, you know, how um, HSH is being run. I don't know. Um, if, like, I guess my question is, like, if I show up at a coordinated access or coordinated entry point today, would I be able to get a shelter bed tonight? Or would somebody be able to get a shelter bed tonight? Does the city currently have capacity? We, we do have capacity. Young adults and families can access shelter through the coordinated entry system or the access at the access point. And there is capacity in the system today. And adults can access shelter through the outreach teams or by calling the homeless outreach team to request assistance. And there is capacity in the adult system as well. So I think I read that, like, like how do you expect adults to like contact the homeless outreach um, teams like if they don't have, you know, uh, an address, you know, where they could be, you know, found or they may not have access to a cell phone or other services like that? Absolutely. So certainly folks can call or request assistance at like, they call, well, if they call 311, they can get connected. Um, having telephonic access is a priority for folks. This is something we've heard pretty loud and clear that folks want a way to call in and request assistance. 
um, folks can go to one of the drop-in centers to ask for help co connecting with the hot team. Every day, we have some shelter beds available, not enough for every person experiencing homelessness. And each morning, we take an inventory of the shelter beds we have available, basically the, the beds that are at, you know, who left shelter the night before, what do we have each morning? And then we allocate those beds on a daily basis to key partners. So hospital discharge gets a certain set of beds. The homeless outreach team gets a certain set of beds. The Healthy Street Operations Center gets some beds. And the street crisis and wellness response teams, right, the, the 911 alternative, or police alternative response to homelessness and behavioral health crisis on the street, they get access to beds. These outreach teams are only as effective as the beds they have to offer. And it's really critical that we have beds immediately available for them in their their work. So when they're responding to a 911 call or approaching somebody on the street or trying to resolve an encampment that they can make a shelter bed available. And under the current system, they can. One of the current one of the challenges right now is that the 311 system for calling in and requesting a bed that we had in place before COVID has been suspended. And we are in the process of creating a hybrid system that will both have a phone access system through 311 as well as beds allocated to these specific outreach teams. Okay, so then it's possible that somebody could, you know, if they're not coming from the hospital, they're not in an emergency situation, so like the CART team is not responding, you know, it could be possible that they could not get a shelter bed tonight. And do you know how often that occurs? I don't. I don't. We have vacancies every night. Small number, again, not enough for everyone, but we, we have beds available regularly. Our Interfaith Winter Shelter, um, Dolores Street Shelter, and our pop-up inclement weather shelters all take walk-ins as well. That's good to know about the walk-ins. Um, I guess another question then is, um, so I, I don't know, I was looking at a map of the entry points and they're all on the east side of the city. Um, how do you serve the west side of San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. As you look at our point in time count data as well, you'll see the vast majority of people experiencing homelessness are on the east side of the city. We also have a mobile team. So like right now we're working with households who are encamped in vehicles near SF State and along Lake Merced. We are doing that through our mobile teams. So we do have mobile teams that go to the west side, um, and that's also one of the reasons why we want to get this the 311 system reestablished in some capacity so that folks experiencing homelessness on the west side have a more streamlined way to connect with assistance. Sorry, and I have one last question. So I know there was recently a court order about San Francisco um, not being allowed to conduct sweeps. Um, I guess you referred to it earlier, something resolving encampments, you know, and there's news articles. I was just reading in SF Gate that, you know, despite this court order, you know, the police are still going up to people, trying to move them along. You know, DPW is taking people's possessions, and there's stories about this. People are never able to, you know, recover their possessions after they're essentially stolen from them by the Department of Public Works, you know, and it, it seems like people's rights are being violated here, either by your department or just the city in general. So 
what's what's like HSH's stance on this? You know, after the court order, it seems like these are still continuing. So, I want to be very clear. HSH's role in any encampment resolution is outreach and making shelter available. We're not an enforcement agency, and so when it when the city does resolve an encampment, the way it works is that the homeless outreach team, which is funded through our department, will go out several days in advance. We'll let people know. We'll offer people services. We'll post like physical noticing of the encampment resolution, and we'll try to get people to come into shelter. We'll make shelter bed offers. And then they come back the day of the resolution and continue to make another round of offers. So for anyone who accepts that offer, they're able to come in to shelter that day. Um, if others do not accept the offer of shelter, we they cannot be cited. We can continue to clean up. We can make offers of shelter and services, healthcare, um, but we our department does not confiscate materials Public Works that has a bag and tag program, which I know is um, sort of uh, discussed in this litigation. But HSH continues to do outreach, make shelter beds available, and work closely with the Healthy Streets Operations Center to ensure that whenever they're addressing an encampment, that they have the services and shelter beds available to do it in a way that is compliant with the Boise case. Great, thank you so much. Do any other commissioners have questions? Okay, if not, well, thank you so much, Emily, for coming and presenting to us today. We really appreciate we really appreciate your time, and if we have any other questions, we'll be sure to email them to you. Um, but thank, thank you, you very much, commissioners. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Um, is anyone from the Department of Elections present? Do you have their contact information? When, when, when were they scheduled? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a five minute recess. Okay, um, so I call this meeting to order back. I call this meeting back to order at 6.32 p.m. Um, do we have to take attendance? No. Okay. Um, so it looks like our final, our next and final presentation is from the Department of Elections. Um, is anyone from the Department of Elections present? Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, sorry, how do you pronounce your name? I don't want to butcher my name. Okay. Um, well, thank you guys both so much for coming and presenting to us. Um, you have 10 minutes to present and 10 minutes for Q&A. Does that sound okay? Yep. Okay. Feel free to start whenever you're ready. Is that right? Should we tell you when to change slides? Yeah. yeah. I got a collector <laughs> too. All right. Sounds good. Great. Hope everybody can hear me well. Hi everyone, my name is Tiff. I'm the outreach manager at the San Francisco Department of Elections. Join with me today, we have Mayank, um, who is our budget and purchasing manager. 
first, I'd like to thank you for your invitation to share more about our pre-registration high school and youth engagement efforts with you today. We appreciate your interest and are excited about the opportunity to collaborate with you to engage and empower young voters in our city. At the Department of Elections, we are committed to ensure that all eligible voters in San Francisco have the opportunity to participate in the democratic process. This includes working closely with youth ambassador and high school students to increase pre-registration rates and recruit poll workers on for election day. We look forward to share more about our programs and hearing your thoughts um, and ideas on how we can further engage and empower young voters in our city. The San Francisco Department of Elections runs a number of programs aimed at engaging youth with a focus of high school and college students and engaging them to become civically engaged by pre-registering to vote at 16 or 17 and participate in the democratic process once they turn 18. Next slide, please. Wonderful. So one of our key programs offered by the department is the High School Elections Ambassador Program, which takes place during the high school voter education weeks that happens uh, biannually during the last two weeks of April and September. This program provides an opportunity for high school and their students to partner with elections officials to promote civic education and participation on campus. As an ambassador, students will learn about the electoral process and have the opportunity to engage their peers and pre-register and register to vote. The department will train and provide materials for the ambassador to conduct voter registration drive and activities. By participating in this program, students will acquire valuable leadership, public speaking, communicate engagement skills, and gain an understanding of the importance of civic participation and the impact of their voices. Upon completion of the program, the ambassador will earn up to $550 and receive a certificate of honor signed by San Francisco Mayor Lyndon Breed. This year, the department is proud to partner with YouthWork to promote this program and increase participation and awareness of high school voter education weeks. Our goal is to have at least one ambassador per high school. However, in the event that there's no ambassador signed up for a particular school, the department staff will be present at those schools to ensure every high school student has access to election information and services. This program is open to all public, private, and charter schools in San Francisco that aims to create a friendly competition along school to drive up voter education uh, voter registration rates. We're pleased to report that there are currently 15 applicants so far and we do foresee an increased number of applicants towards the application deadline by the end of the month. As of today, we have 1,580 pre-registrants and this number is constantly changing. We're excited to work closely with these ambassadors to significantly increase the number of pre-registration in the city. We recognize that every day people are turning 18 and becoming eligible voters. To ensure that we reach out to these young people um, in a timely manner, we mail happy 18th birthday uh, postcard to notify them when they're now eligible to vote. 
We also remind them to check their voter registration record and provide us with any updated information, such as if they have moved or changed their party preference. Our goal is to prioritize um, outreach efforts to engage with youth and ensure that all eligible voters in San Francisco have the opportunity to participate in the democratic process. In addition to our outreach efforts, we're also working on updating our website to provide more data on pre-registration on the near future. We believe that this will help us to better understand the factor that are contribute to pre-registration number and develop strategies to address them effectively. Next slide. <laughs> so aside from engaging with youth on a high school voter education week, the department continued to participate in campuses and community events where we reach out to students and young adults, answering questions and providing resources. This includes sharing information in the back to school celebrations, backpack giveaway events, local street fairs, high school internship resource fair, and college workshop. Along with the next slide, you'll see that aside from SFUSD and community events, the department also partner with other organizations such as Boys and Girls Club, CYC, Citywide Black Student Union, BMagic, Department of um, Children, Youth, and Their Family, DCYF, and the California Academy of Science, Teen Science Nights, to help plan and coordinate election events and activities. We also set up information booth at sport events inside a stadium such as the Golden State Warriors game at the Chase Center and Giants at the War uh, Oracle Park. Furthermore, we often conduct um, tr uh, tours at the department, which you see on this slide, actually. Um, this provides an immersive and interactive way for youth to learn about the voting system. So these tours are usually facilitated with a presentation on the election process, followed by a demonstration of the voting system in the department's offices. The department continued to expand and improve their vote, uh, youth program with a goal of fostering a sense of civic engagement in the youth community. The department also recognized youth as the future of democracy and its commit to work with youth and to empower uh, and educate them to inform decision and participate in electoral process. Um, next slide, please. Um, so on the screen you see um, we're doing some poll worker training. Um, so um, the department also work um, with um, recruiting students and adult poll worker to serve on polling place throughout the city on election day. Last election we successfully recruit over 600 high school poll workers and conduct training at four high school campuses including Baboa, Lincoln, Thurgood Marshall, and Washington High. So um, with you know, their help in protecting voter rights, serving voters with respect, and to help voters to cast their ballot um, in, in recognition of their service, high school poll workers do receive a stipend of up to $265. So I'd like to now invite my Yang to elaborate a little bit more about our high school poll worker program as well as our expand official ballot drop boxes in the neighborhoods. 
<coughs> Good evening. Um, so a little elaboration on our poll worker program. We've had this program for many years now. Um, I recognize some of you as high school poll workers. Um, I'm sure others have also, not just spotlighting. Um, <laughs> um, but once again, uh, for poll workers, what are poll workers? These are people who assist us at uh, five, 501 polling places on election day. As you can imagine, that's a lot of locations. With every location comes with about four to five volunteers. And this volunteers can be from anywhere from age 16 to infinity. Uh, let's just leave it at that. Um, but we really need everyone in the community. And a huge population of our poll workers are actually high school students. Um, when I first started full time with this department back in 2016, our numbers were about 1,000 high school poll workers for every 3,000 total poll workers, so one third. Now, believe it or not, last election was our highest afterwards, which is only 600. So we've been taking a hit, one with COVID, one with just other things happening in the community. Um, we've worked to increase the stipend. Um, back when I started in 2016, it was up to 152. Uh, for one day's worth of work, now it's up to 265. So those are some changes we've made over the years. Um, but once again, we love our high school poll workers. You guys, it's an easy day for you guys. I'll be real quick, sorry. Um, so we focus a lot on our high school poll worker program. Uh, one thing I just want to add, uh, next slide, thank you. Um, we have a Dropbox program that started last year. Um, so this is for all voters of San Francisco. We have 34 boxes across San Francisco where voters can drop off their ballots starting 29, before, 29 days before Election Day. There was a new law that went into effect this year, AB 29, uh, 2815, which requires us to place a drop box at every San Francisco uh, State University um, and give priority or ask permission to place boxes at UC campuses and give priority to community college campuses. So it's a convoluted law where it doesn't make it equal for all schools. Um, it kind of prioritizes them. It doesn't really mention private schools. Um, but with that being said, we're requesting 17 additional drop boxes for the next fiscal year as part of our budget, um, knowing that Based off this law, we're only required to place three currently, one at SF State, one at UCSF campus, and one at UC Hastings campus. As you know, that is not representative of our, of our community in San Francisco, hence why we've requested additional boxes. With the additional 17, they'll bring the total boxes to 51, which makes it one box for every 10,000 voters in San Francisco. Um, with that being said, we're open to questions. Hi, uh, thank you for coming and speaking with us today. I had a question. I was wondering if you could provide more detail on the outreach the Department of Election does to schools and community programs to make sure that students know about the opportunities you offer, like how you let schools and students know about tours of the Department of Elections or the ability to pre-register. Sure. Sure. Um, 
I can start and then feel free to elaborate. Sure. Um, so we, um, you know, aside from the ambassador program, which we talk about in depth, um, we also um, reach out to administrators in school. So every single school, whether or not they're public school, private school, and more, reach out to them and let them know um, that about the pre-registration opportunity at 16 or 17 and when they turn 18 um, if they're eligible to vote they can be a voter. Um, we also conduct presentation at schools. Um, we coordinate close week with um, government classes and civic engagement courses um, to conduct presentation. We bring voter registration form in and help students um, to register to vote on the spot. On top of that we also attend resource fair, internship fairs at school um, to help people um, to provide voter education efforts um, as well as lunchtime. We're often there at school during lunchtime, set up a table there, and if students wanted to talk to us, pre-register or get registered to vote, um, or have any questions, really, we're happy to help them address that. Thank you. Could you give like an estimate as to how many schools or and classes you've been able to visit, like in the past year or so? or what your goals are? So our goals are to reach every high school at least once in election cycle. So we tend to tie stuff to election cycle because that's our topic here. Um, so one of our way, our foot into the door is to present the poll worker program and pre-registration right, right before the election. And the reasons are, there's two reasons for that. One, to get the students publicly engaged before an election. Um, it, they start early uh, for a poll worker, like we mentioned, 16 and older. Um, they can start getting involved. The second is if we pre-register you and you turn 18 during that period before the election, you're able to vote. So we want to get those pre-registrations as much as possible. Um, so there's no exact target number, but we try to hit all the schools at least once. And a little bit of elaboration on <coughs> Tiff's point is we contact all the administrators and heads of social st uh, studies classes, any contacts we can find, really. And that's where our hardship is, really, because every semester or every school year, those contacts continuously change, and no one tells us. <laughs> so as you can imagine, it's not on their list, like, oh, we have a new person in charge here. They're not going to email the Department of Elections to tell us that. So there's a lot of work that goes on on our end, to contact them and we'll contact the right person. The second part is them responding to us. So after, you know, we have it built into our schedule where we'll send the first round of emails, second round of emails, we'll go to the school to try to meet with them and drop off materials, we'll call the principal. We try to get in touch with whoever we can. And that's what we try to do, but it's really hard if the schools are not interested. Do you have any partnerships with SFUSD to increase this outreach? We have, but they tend to leave it to the principal and to the school itself. Um, they have this overall um, structure of, you know, hey, this is happening, um, similar to the, on the state level where we have these two weeks in the fall and spring determined as high school voter education weeks. So this is signed by the superintendent of instruction but you know, there's no requirement to enforce any of it. So we try to do our best to engage with the students and the ambassador program is just one avenue. Do you have an estimate of how many students you've been able 
to pre-register through these, through like high school outreach? We don't, um, and the reason why is, there's two reasons. Um, when we're pre-registering them, we're not collecting physical forms from them at the moment, because one, the form is long, and two, they could do it online. Um, they could do it while they're signing up at the DMV for their uh, driver's license permit. Um, there's multiple avenues to pre-register, that being one. The second part is, you could pre-register today, and tomorrow's your birthday, you're not no longer pre-registered. You're registered to be a voter. So you drop out of that. But that also means that, hey, someone that was 15 just turned 16, so now they're eligible to be pre-registered. So that's something that we're working on internally to keep better track of those numbers and to assign some sort of metadata like, hey, there was a pre-registrant happened on this date, and kind of collect that data. That's our next phase in collecting data. Um, but you know, a question that did come up is, how many pre-registrants do we have, and how is that compared to our goal or state level? It's a really hard question for us to answer because we don't know what the population is out there of who can be registered, and that's a big question for us. It may seem simple, but it's also being a U.S. citizen, being 16 and older, like those two questions by itself is really hard for us to answer and for us to get any data on, honestly. Um, one thing to add on to provide a little bit data, um, you know, and, and turn around and everything. Um, so like how I mentioned, there's a birthday card, postcard being mailed out. And with that being said, we do have data on like approximately a month. There's a 110 or more um, students um, that are turning 18 per month. So, you know, um, for, for 10 months, there's already a thousand folks that are turning 18. So that's the reason why, um, you know, we're often trying to find ways to reach out to everyone um, in San Francisco um, to ensure that they know about their options of being pre-registered to vote. Do you know what percentage of those who are emailed that card or are sent that card are able to, or do you end up registering? I'm sorry, your question is um, how many students? Do we have like data on how many? I'm, I guess I'm trying to gauge how successful this card program is. Yeah, so, for uh, those cards, um, we send it out as a notification. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't expect for folks to get back to us. Um, and so um, therefore, we, we don't track them. Um, but you know, we make sure those cards get to them. Um, as a notification of that, hey, you're registered to vote. If you moved you know, to a college whatsoever, please update your voter registration so then you, you, know, you make sure you get your ballot for the upcoming election. So I guess there's really no way that you're currently uh, gauging the success of this program. Is, I mean, I, I understand it's difficult, but that's sort of the answer. Um, the only way we can gauge it is seeing this number grow. Okay. They wouldn't be connected to any data. Like yeah. we're not comparing like to the total population that can be registered. Um, there's no way to gauge our success other than seeing this pre-registration number go up. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, this would have to be a continuous effort because every day that number is going to decrease and increase. I'm wondering if I can switch topics a little bit to the ambassador program. Um, I know that we're beginning the process of trying to see um, if they can be paid is my understanding. I think there were some questions that were sent ahead of time that you responded to to, to commissioners. Um, so with that, how do we increase sort of accountability to make sure that these ambassadors are, are doing that work? I guess 
it's sort of a new level at that point of making sure that that money is being paid to someone who's actually doing it and who has the support from the department to do it. So I'm wondering what in line with that is changing as well. Sure. <clears throat> so similar to uh, YouthWorks, they have uh, internships throughout the city with different departments. Um, what we're doing with them is kind of a, a hybrid where the internship is just this two-week window where each intern or each ambassador will be assigned a department staff member who's going to be their mentor. Mm -hmm. And so the $550 is uh, calculated based off 25 hours worth of service. Um, five hours would be training, 20 hours would be the actual uh, service that they would do throughout the two-week two period, so 10 hours a week. So throughout those t uh, 20 hours, um, every, at least twice a week, they'll have to check in with the ambassador. Um, they'll set their own targets during the training period. Um, targets aren't the same for all, all schools or all students mm -hmm. because school size. Um, also, we want to allow creativity. So during that training, we'll work up a plan with those ambassadors to what they think they could do at their school. And that's how we'll give them that freedom and then we'll hold them to that and we'll help them with whatever support we can give them to accomplish that goal. So we don't have this blanket approach that, hey, you have to do X amount of assemblies or X amount of events. Um, every school is different, so we'll allow the students to s tell us what they can do there. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, thank you. Um, <laughs> um, thank you, uh, you know, at a time when we're seeing sort of the right to vote under attack kind of across this country, I think it's really good that San Francisco is, is making the opposite turn. And I think there's definitely room for improvement that our Civic Engagement Education Committee has been discussing and would love to work with you both and the whole department on going forward. But it is, I think it is worth noting that, you know, this is a pretty pivotal time for democracy in the yeah. world and in our country. And I think San Francisco is definitely on the right track compared to some other places we're seeing right now. And that really speaks to the work that you all are doing. Yep. Could I ask a question? Yes. Right. Quickly. Uh, yeah, quickly. Thanks. Um, we've kind of given you our metric of the pre-registration numbers across the state. I was just going to ask what's your guys' metric and your long-term goals, if any, for pre-registration of voting ambassadors, youth poll workers? Sure. So I can attack each one yeah. separately. <laughs> um, so for pre-registration, um, it's hard for us to gauge. Once again, uh, we need to know the overall population who's able to become pre-registered to have a percentage. Uh, we can't use the state average. As you know, San Francisco is very unique. Um, not The percentage of uh, uh, students who might meet the criteria of becoming a registered voters is uh, very different compared to other parts of the state, as you can imagine. Um, so we can't use a general number like of you know attendees at SFUSD divided by how many we have pre-registered. It wouldn't be fair. Um, also, we have the private schools that we'll, we would also have to factor in. Um, so something that we are trying to measure is the change over time of how many pre-registrants there are. Um, on a daily basis of how many pre-registrants are becoming registered to vote and vice versa, how many non-voters are becoming pre-registered to vote. So that's something that we're trying to track and improve on over time. Um, the next one was high school poll workers. Yes, or voting ambassadors. I mean, uh, ambassadors. I know we're a little bit out of time, but I just wanted sure. to know like... Uh, high school poll workers, 
we need as many as possible. We try to do as much as possible. We go to all the schools as much as possible. Uh, we increase the stipend overall across the board. Um, overall, we need over 2,500 poll workers each election, so as many high school students as possible. That's great. Um, for ambassadors, last uh, spring or last fall, we had about 15. Um, this is when the ambassadorship was not paid. Um, this spring, we are, this is the first time we're partnering with YouthWorks and making it a paid option. So we're hoping to increase the number of ambassadors and try to be more picky in terms of uh, representation across all, as many schools as possible. Um, we don't want four ambassadors from one school, for example. Um, it's not representing all the schools. Um, so our goal is 22 ambassadors for this upcoming cycle. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Any more It's really impressive, I have to say. Like, I, I don't know, we give you a hard time, but I think it's really impressive, the, um, the work that you've done and that you've been able to like make this opportunity paid. Um, and I don't know, I feel like whenever I go like out in public to like Sunday streets or like any like public event, I see the big, you know, be a poll worker. Oh, so I great. think it's really impressive, um, your work. So I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank and you. we love answering questions. Yes. There's no hard feelings. Feel free to ask questions. Uh, we love talking about what we do, so we're yeah. here for that. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for presenting to us and for cool. answering all of our questions. Again, we really appreciate the work that you do. Um, and if we have further questions, we'll be sure to be in touch through email. But sure. yeah, thank you for your time today. Cool. Uh, one salesman pitch real quick. Uh, we would love for you guys to become our high school ambassadors. You guys are the perfect group for it. Yeah. Um, so uh, we can share this link with everyone. Uh, through our contacts. Um, you guys can still register. We do need representation from as many schools as possible. Earn up to $550. It's two weeks. Um, and I will say, if you have a graphic or anything, we'd be happy to promote that on our social media to Would students. Would love to. So. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? Chair sure, when there's no public comment. Great. Um, seeing no public comment. Chair uh, Wynn, just before we move to yes. resolutions, can I motion to table item nine? Yeah, do you want to explain a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I meant to do that at the approval of agenda. Um, I don't mean item nine. I mean item, wait. 11. I mean item 11, sorry. Uh, the soda tax application review. Um, my understanding, and staff can correct me if I'm wrong, is that we're still either reaching out or only yesterday reached out to the applicant to clarify um, the timeline for the end of the term. Why do we care what the end of the term And yeah. she, I don't think, is here. I don't think she has to be here, though. She doesn't need to be, but it would be good practice for her to, to be here. No, so the board of supervisors are, are voting on her appointment tomorrow. If we don't approve it, do they still vote on it? They, they can still vote on it. But there's no, they could still be in college. She's the only applicant. And yeah, so we opened the application twice. And I've, I've got emails from you saying that they were going to apply and they never did. So she was the only applicant. If the meeting is tomorrow, we should just vote on it today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would just suggest. Um, and I, I did yeah, email I'll, her. It shouldn't take that long. I'm not, it's not time that I'm worried about, but 
I, I'll withdraw my motion, but I think that next time we need to do a better job of this. That's not on any, that's on all of us. Okay. Um, staff, can you please call item number seven? Um, sorry. Item number seven is resolutions, lyric resolution of commendation. Okay, um, so we have the lyric resolution of commendation by Commissioner Parker Plummer and Commissioner Utting. Um, feel free, well thank you guys first for working on this and feel free to take it away whenever you're ready. Thank you, um, do you wanna? Yeah, um, do I just start resolution recognition? No, I, I, I have things to say. <laughs> okay, but okay, go ahead, you, go ahead. Do you not, okay, I'll go first. Um, so I just wanted to say, uh, as parliamentarian, I want to note that per section 9.D.2 of our bylaws, this is a resolution of commendation, so it will only be read once at the commission and should be passed or not passed today. Does that make sense? So instead of a regular resolution with having two readings, because it's just like commending someone, it'll only have one reading. Um, I also wanted to say, you know, Lyric is an incredible organization which holds a historic status as one of the first LGBTQ youth-serving centers um, in the country. Through its multiple programs aimed at supporting LGBTQ plus youth and creating a safer world to be out in, like their work in founding the Dimensions Clinic and their school-based initiative, Lyric has helped change our city and our country for the better. At a time when queer youth and community services supporting them are under attack across this country, I couldn't be prouder to introduce this resolution with, with Commissioner Utting to honor and recognize the work of Lyric. With that, I'd like to move to approve this resolution with the amendment that the authors, section B, Commissioners Utting and Barker Plummer, and co-authors B, Listana and Pimentel. I just think that that got changed in translation at some point, so the resolution should be um, like that. And um, I'll move it. I don't know if you want to say anything, Commissioner Odding. I will just add that I this, think this is our first letter of commendation this year, and that Lyric is one of many amazing organizations in the city. And so hopefully this can set a precedent this year for continuing to recognize organizations that are serving youth in San Francisco. Seconded, Commissioner Atting. Are we reading it? Oh, we do need to read, sorry. <laughs> uh, we can just switch off. Recogn recognition of Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth. Resolution recognizing and commending the work and impact of the Sarensko Lavender Youth Recreation and Information Center, Lyric, for LGBTQQ Youth. Whereas the Lavender Youth Recreation and Information Center, Lyric, for LGBTQQ youth is one of the main service providers in community spaces serving lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth in San Francisco and... Whereas the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ youth was founded in 1988, making it one of the first community centers serving LGBTQQ youth in the country and... Whereas the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ youth grew out of the ad hoc committee for gay, lesbian, and bisexual youth, which was started by community activists Donna Keiko Ozawa and Beth Cavell and... Whereas in 1996, the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth launched the first lobby day devoted to LGBTQ youth protections in public schools, engaging 300 plus participants with the LIFE Lobby and the Gay Straight Alliance Network, 
and building momentum to pass California Assembly Bill 537 in 2000, which protects students and staff against discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity and Whereas in 1997, the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth, along with other LGBTQQ youth-serving community organizations, co-founded the Dimensions Clinic Collaboration, a twice-weekly clinic held at a public health center created to meet the medical and psychosocial service needs of LGBTQQ youth, and... Whereas in, two in, two in 2001, the Youth Development Program Outcomes Project gave the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth one of the highest scores for youth development outcomes and levels of youth satisfaction and... Whereas in 2010, the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth received the California Adolescent Health Janet Shawitz Leadership Award and the Bank of America's Neighborhood Builder Award in 2011 and... Whereas in 2011, the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth launched the school-based initiative to educate and build allyship among students, school staff, and families, and... Whereas in 2013, the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth launched Undocu Workforce, the Bay Area's first paid leadership program for undocumented LGBTQQ and ally youth, and... Whereas the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth has expanded their community partnerships to include API Wellness, Bay Area Young Positives, Dimensions Clinic, Larkin Street Youth Services, San Francisco LGBT Center, and San Francisco Department of Recreation and Parks to respond to city budget cuts impacting LGBTQQ youth and... Whereas in 2018 and 2020, the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth was awarded two contracts to expand housing navigation and services for homeless and unstably housed LGBTQQ youth and therefore be it... Resolved that the San Francisco Youth Commission hereby commends the work of, Lyric, of the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth and recognizes the positive impact the center and its programs have had on LGBTQQ youth in the city and county of San Francisco. Great. Um, thank you guys both for your work on this commendation or this motion. Commendation. This commendation. Um, are there any questions from commissioners? Commissioner Miller. Yeah, I had a question. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of um, nonprofits in the city that do a lot of, you know, great work with um, young people. You know, we just had Coleman Advocates like earlier tonight. Was there any like specific like recent thing? Because I know you talk about a lot of stuff, you know, some of it's from like, you know, 1996, as far back as then. And, you know, obviously, you know, good work happens over time. But I'm just like curious, like, why now? Well, I would say two things. One is, um, like Commissioner Utting said, we're hoping to do this for more community organizations. I would remind commissioners that anyone can introduce a resolution of commendation, and I think that that's an important, and it's symbolic, but an important thing that we can do. Um, specifically for Lyric, um, they and other queer community services within the last couple of years as national rhetoric around um, queer youth, and particularly trans youth, have certainly been the targets for a lot of harassment, um, as was stated in the BPP that we passed. Um, so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to specifically um, commend them on, uh, on the part of the Youth Commission. I actually think that they'll be joining us at our next meeting to receive a, a formal commendation uh, or certificate of, certificate of honor from the Commission because um, it's a really important time to show solidarity and support for them. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like it would be helpful if that was mentioned in the whereas is like regarding like what? the if you mentioned like the recent, you know, like attacks like that have like led up to this and like the support that they've provided during that time, I feel like it would be helpful. But it's fine. 
Well, I'll also note that that was in the BPPs that we passed and that we'll be presenting to the board on Wednesday, so. Yeah, I understand. It's just helpful for like the reasoning behind, because I don't know, some of it is like kind of random, like that they were awarded a city contract, a lot of nonprofits are awarded city contracts. But I, I, I Commissioner, the reason that we are honoring them is because of the work that they've done for queer youth, and that's what it says in the resolution. Okay, thank you for the question. Are there any other questions? Comments? Um, I'd say the, the concern or the question that Commissioner Miller brought up um, is valid, and I think it, it could make the resolution of commendation a little bit more clear as to why, like specifically us, the San Francisco Youth Commission are honoring them. Because, yeah, of course, I think it's it's great to recognize nonprofits for the work that they do, but um, it could provide helpful context, and I do agree with that. Thank you for that point, and I will add, I think Lyric has faced a lot of threats. Correct me if I'm wrong, Commissioner Barker Plummer, in the past few in the past year. Yeah. Um, and so that's also that's also another reason for this commendation is um, not just solidarity in general, but especially for this organization in San Francisco. Yeah, and like I kind of understand that we want to like focus on the positive aspects, but it's like you're providing this context, but like where the context goes in here, it's just not there. You know, like if you read this in a few years, you may have no idea that that's what happened. I because think that they written. are worthy of the commendation regardless of Oh, I'm not debating that. I'm just saying like if you're if you're doing it now, it's fine. I'm not I, I this is me putting my parliamentarian hat on, which is that this is how most commendations read, so that's also what it was based off of. So I would just note that as well. Like this it's not we haven't done it this year yet, but there there's not usually a reason other than to honor the work that they're doing but everyone can write their resolutions how they'd like. <laughs> okay, any other questions? Um, if not, we move into a roll call vote. Oh, is there any public comment on this? Chair, when there is no public comment. Great, um, if not, we can, did you create a motion? I motioned, yeah, and Commissioner Arding seconded. Okay. Um, can we please take a roll call vote on that motion? Uh, yeah, on that motion, Commissioner Wong. Aye. Commissioner Wong, aye. Commissioner Adair. Aye. Commissioner Adair, aye. Uh, Commissioner Loftus. Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller. Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Uh, Officer Lasana. Aye. Officer Lasana, aye. Commissioner Onish. Aye. Commissioner Onish, aye. And then Officer Udding. Aye. Officer Udding, aye. Commissioner Colleen. Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Uh, Commissioner Pimentel. Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Uh, Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum. Aye. Officer Hum, aye. Officer Shaw. Aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Uh, Commissioner M. Aye. Commissioner M, aye. And then uh, Commissioner Hillman. Aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. Commissioner Terrell. Aye. Commissioner Terrell, aye. And then Chair Wynn. Aye. Erwin, I chair with uh, 16 eyes. Uh, you have uh, the motion passes.
Okay, great. Um, well, congratulations to Commissioners um, Pimentel, Ating, and Barker Plummer, um, and Lestana for your work on this commendation. Um, yeah, thank, thank you for all of your work, and thank you for answering our questions. Um, okay. Clerk, can you please call item number eight? Yeah, number eight is the Prop G survey. Okay, um, so I'll pass it off to Commissioners Pimentel and Colleen. So Commissioner Colleen and I collaborated on a brief survey for students to gather feedback on how the Prop G funding should be spent to, uh, to improve San Francisco public schools. And the three main questions for the survey are, what do you believe are the biggest challenges for students? This can be academic, academically, socially, mentally. With the additional funding for the Prop G, would with the additional funding that Prop G would give to San Francisco schools, what changes would you like to see in schools to benefit students, and what school areas do you think the funding should be spent on? So we added mental health, school safety, tutoring, youth programs, academics, school supplies, nurses, and counselors, and there also there is also demographic questions to know where the responses are coming from. Commissioner Colleen, do you want to add anything else? Um, yeah, so this survey specifically targets pre-K to 12th grade, um, which we say um, in the grades and the age groups and the districts. I don't know what else to add. Yeah. Any questions? Oh, are you going to explain the questions, like on the survey? Or? Commissioner Pimentel just oh. said. Okay. Um, are there any questions? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I guess I was just curious. Um, I would like for the second like um, question, like what with the additional funding that Prop G would give San Francisco schools, what changes would you like to see in schools to benefit students? Mm -hmm. I think it would be helpful. Like I know it says it at like the top of the like survey, but maybe it would be helpful like if you could just like paste in like the things it could be intended to fund. Because I feel like what a lot of people will do, like if I look at this, I have no idea what Prop G is, you know, like as a, a student, you know, I could write, oh, I want better school lunches. And I'm just not sure that that's something that Prop G money could be, you know, used for. So just making it clearer so then we could get better responses. Yeah, so you think um, we're in the explanation of what Prop G is, just paste the things that are allowed? Well, because it kind of explains at the, the header in the top yeah. where it says specifically grants, um, you know, individual schools hiring more educators, nurses, tutors, literacy and math specialists, and like so on. Yeah. But maybe if that like blurb, I don't know if it will like fit in the question or just some way that you, you could like it. put it right above there so that people know like what it could fund. Yeah, we could make that change and condense it a little bit more so it's clear. Um, I had a question yeah. for the what school areas do you think the funding should be spent on? Can they only select one? Uh, no, I think this is multiple, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, this is multiple checkboxes. Okay. Um, have you considered making like the the first two questions multiple choice? The like the, the challenges one um, and the, the additional funding one? 
um, just to like provide a little bit more structure in the survey, just because I feel like when people use survey data later, after like the survey is closed, it's a lot more helpful to compare two things um, rather than just like have it be an open-ended question. Because I think having an open-ended question definitely allows for like flexibility in what people can respond with. But I think you could do like a multiple choice thing and then have like an option where it's like if you have something that's not included in these question like responses, you can type it here. Just because I think it would like make the data a lot more helpful when we use it later. Because you could be like, oh, like 50% of students wanted this, but 20% of students like wanted this, you know? So I, I just think it would be a lot more helpful. Yeah, I guess I'm also like curious, like what do you intend to like use this response, the responses for? Like is it just for our own like advocacy around what like Prop G funds are spent on? Or like do we have a clearer idea of like how it will be determined or like who's gonna determine what the funds are spent on? I believe we're also having like discussions, um, like a youth, what are they called? Town hall. Yeah, like a youth, well, I guess you. It, it's a little bit more of like listening circles. So going into schools and talking to students and listening to their concerns or feedback on what Prop G funding could be used and just like explaining a little bit more what Prop G is to them. Um, so the survey came about with like conversations with um, Walton's office and Hillary Ronan's office because there wasn't really like a youth group um, gathering these results. Um, there's been like parent, basically parent town halls or like um, basically conversations with administrators, but not really with students. Yeah. Um, I had a question regarding like who these survey responses would go to. Like, would you bring them directly back to the D9 and D10 office? Yes, oh. to the people who are who are in charge of Prop G funding. Are D, D9 and D10, are they in charge of? It's DCYF. Yeah, so DCYF. they're gonna bring it to DCYF after? Yeah. Okay. Um, we were also thinking about using these results and writing a resolution later down the line. Yeah. Okay. So do you think you could consider making these two questions multiple choice? I think the first question should not be multiple choice. Because we can't, mm -hmm. I think there's just so many answers that it could be. I think there should be some liberty for students to put what they think. I think definitely the second question could be multiple choice, but I think the first one should not. You could do both. I, you could do a, a multiple choice question and a free response question asking like similar things. Just if you want to like see what students think are bigger challenges in comparison to other challenges, but you still want like flexibility in what they write. You could do both things. But it's it's ultimately up to you. I guess I just don't know what the options would be. Like, how would you determine what the options should be for the question? Like, well, do you have an idea? I don't know. I what just do, feel like what academically, socially, and mentally, those are like so many things that could encompass those Well, challenges. I think that we're more talking about this. The, are you talking about the second one? Well, but I also, I mean, this is a question for Commissioner when I just am curious kind of what you're envisioning with that. Like what, what do you think the options would, would be? I don't know. Well, I mean, I think we would have to like do some research on what SFUSD students think are like the biggest challenges in their schools. And then we would find a way to categorize them here. But I don't have anything immediate in my head. Um, I just think it would be helpful and it would provide structure because some people could be like, 
oh, like we, we don't get enough breaks at school and some people be like more tutoring services. So I, I just, because the question is so broad, it would provide structure that would allow us to better conceptualize what are the biggest challenges right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think, yeah, I just wanted clarification on what, <laughs> what, what, what you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. I just, just because it's like so open-ended, I envision that people will say like very different things and I just don't know how that will help us, you know. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I could definitely help you guys with coming up with like some of the challenges and seeing how we could organize them. And if that doesn't work out, we can keep the question as it is right now. Yeah, but don't we also kind of risk like giving them the options that we think are important and not coming up with the answers that they think are important? Yeah, I mean, that, that could be an issue, but that's why we could do research to, to, to select like broad issues um, that aren't like so specific that it's issues that we're saying are important. And we could still have, like, you could have, like, a checklist and then still have a other option at the end so that, you know, people who do have, you know, a really strong opinion about, like, a niche topic could, you know, put it in there and we could still capture that. Yeah, I think you could have, like, what do you believe are the biggest challenges for students? You could have the multiple choice answer and then you could say, what do you believe are the biggest challenges that you weren't able to elaborate on or mention? in the multiple choice so that you could literally just have the same question yeah. repeated for someone. And then if you're not able to come up with enough specific big challenges, I think it could still be helpful to have like a multiple choice category like academic challenges, social or like mental, like may maybe make these broad things a little bit more specific, but if you can't go like hyper specific, then just saying like what categories the challenges fall into would still be helpful. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant with like creating two questions just because you could do both um, of what you were trying to do. And I was thinking of some examples like to to make it a little bit more specific. You could be like, oh, like the biggest challenges are like not enough mental health support, not enough access to tutoring, um, not enough like social emotional learning, like things like that that are like broad enough, but they have more specific issues within them, if that makes sense. Chair. Yeah. I just want to clarify. So I just, I just wanted like a little bit of input as well. So I'm seeing that the main question, like the biggest challenges, making it a multiple choice between like mental health, tutoring, academics would kind of be a duplicate of the two questions after that of what they think funding should be spent on. So I'm just kind of trying to clarify. It's like if it's the same exact question, I think students might think it's confusing on what the challenges are. I mean, realistically, the challenges should be where the funding should go. So I'm just trying to clarify a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, uh, I, I mean, it's already asking challenges and then solutions separately. So I think this would just convert the challenges or like provide some structure for that, like similar options, but I don't know. I think it would make the idea of like the like just like having the challenges be more specific it would give us a better picture of like what kind of solution sh should come out of those challenges if that makes sense. I'm also just like one yeah I don't know I just feel like one question is so broad I don't I just feel like the questions aren't connected enough too that's the thing. I'm also just curious, I thought like the, the vision for Prop G is that like school sites would like kind of individually like decide what needs were like 
most relevant to like them, like as as opposed to like a district-wide like approach of okay, we're doing this in every school. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Can I can I speak? Yes. Okay. So basically, um, we we've been requested by the community at the district, like why, like LTF. Um, teachers that there's no outreach happening to you specifically it's only to parents it's only to teachers it's only to administrators so they're not gathering actual direct youth feedback and so um, we were asked if you know the youth commission can do a hearing can do like a survey to get involved in this <coughs> because they recognize that youth are not being targeted at all and like what do you want and um, they've, they've also seen that some schools are hesitant to apply for the funding because right now DCYF has not sent out any information really on how to apply for these funds. Um, they're thinking there's going to be a lot of paperwork, there's like all these like things, um, but they really like want youth to be the center of, of this movement of getting funding for their schools for the needs that they want to be, you know, addressed. So that's like the intention of this survey. Um, you know, it's it's. I, I think it would be really hard for us to go to like every school and like be like, okay, what do you <laughs> want? So that's why it's a little bit broader. Yeah. And we're hoping with this information, we can disseminate it to the people at each district or each school. Yeah, no, that's And helpful. in addition, and when you say like schools, um, make that. That is why um, Commissioners Pimentel and Colleen included what school do you currently attend. So then you can get that feedback on um, what does the school population, the youth population, student population really want. Um, can I voice a concern that I have? I just, I think um, like having the question about what school they attend is definitely important so you can like trace it back. But I just like, I, I don't know how effective this like gather gathering this feedback would be just because like the issues that's from school to schools like vary but they're also like very similar I don't know if that makes sense but like there's like schools across San Francisco like face similar issues but they also like vary depending on like the specific location so I just think like if one student says that this is an issue like it's it's definitely going to be an issue at another school and I just think it's like really confusing like I think it's a confusing way to measure what issues are most like pertinent at some schools in comparison to others because like obvi obviously we know that like all of these issues exist but I think there should be a way to measure like which issues are most important to certain schools so that what so we know what we can like focus on specifically because I think like it, this will just be like what students respond to this survey then at that point, right? Like I just don't know if it's an accurate measure. Just to clarify, so Prop G funding is dependent on the school site. It's it's by school site. So even if there was an issue that we know is, even if the even though there's an issue that we might know is at multiple school sites, there would have to be different grants. So that's why it's like why we need to know the school site issue. Oh, I was just gonna add. The reason why we wanted to be a little bit more open-ended is because we've been having conversations with like UESF and different like folks that are focusing with like survey gathering, but also with like the parent LT Latino task force, just so we could just get a hold of like the different experiences that students are um, are 
I don't know how to phrase it, but feeling. Um, but um, but also, we're me and Commissioner Colin are going to look at every survey answer just to like specifically categorize them in the right category. Okay. Yeah. And yeah I, one more thing. Why I would like to say that if you assume that one student, like it's from one thing to another, like why do we need to condense them into one thing? Why can't just individually one voice represent that one person in that school? It's just, Sorry, I don't understand. If we write a resolution, it's pretty hard to include every single person. No, yes, but um, a concern that I hear is that I'm sorry. It's just that a concern I hear is that uh, just because that one person from that one school is re bringing up that one problem doesn't mean that their voice doesn't matter. And that, I is, say that. that is a little concerning of what I heard. I'm sorry, when did I say that? Sorry, I'm gonna step in here. I think there's just like a lot of like miscommunication regarding the question that you poise regarding um, like the, the different measuring on like the importance of the different issues that will be brought up during the survey. I do agree with you though regarding how DCIYF will be measuring the importance of each issue because the reality is there's like a thousand different issues in each school, but only a select few schools will get funding. There's only like roughly like what, like $10 million? How many schools are there? How many youth are there? Um, so I think that um, what, you know, Commissioner Pimentel mentioned is that they're gonna analyze the data and make sure that they're looking at every issue that is brought up. Um, and then I think regarding like the Prop G resolution, it's going to be less about each issue but more of like the process of the implementation of the funding because right now there's an assumption that only 10 schools are going to get a million dollars but it's like no like there's like what 30 50 100 schools in the district how is that 10 million dollars going to be dis like dispersed within all those schools because right mm -hmm. now there's like rumors like that there's hasn't been any clear information from DCYF that's why um, CC is doing a joint hearing with the uh, youth, young family, young youth, young adults, and their families committee on Prop G of, of trying to get those answers because everyone right now is really confused and there's just been a lack of like youth voice in yeah. this process. Yeah, I'd like to clarify what I was saying. I was just trying to say that you know this survey is in like no way to measure all of the issues that can happen at one school and it's like it's definitely very hard to measure like what like you would have to do like a school-wide survey to see what one issue is most important to that school but I'm, I'm not shutting down the survey I'm just saying you know it's, it's totally not like a 100% representation of these issues but it is important in the fact that it gives voice to the students um, and it allows them to share their concerns for what they believe is important to them. And I think that's valuable, but I was just saying, like, it's not an accurate measure of all of the issues there are and, like, the ways that the funding should be used, you know. I, and I think that's why it's important for this survey to be very widespread in order for it to be more accurate. Are there any other questions? 
So are we gonna take action on this or what were you guys thinking? Well, we were hoping to pass it today um, because we sent out the survey last week to gather feedback and we got no responses from anyone. Um, so we're a bit surprised that there's so many concerns about the survey today. Um, I think about the first question about the challenges, I think I'd rather leave it as an open-ended answer for people to say what they want to say instead of us feeding them answers for them to click on. Mm -hmm. um, as to the second question, um, I'd be happy to make that into a multiple response question because um, that is what I'm hearing a lot of you saying. Any other questions? I just want to say I think that if we do pass it today, I will be supporting the survey. I appreciate the addition of the multiple choice question. I noticed that that was changed from our last CEEC meeting, and I do think that the current questions allow students to voice their opinions. Yes, I um, agree with Commissioner Adding. And I think that it is enough to gauge what's going on in schools, and I think that there can be more specific issues that people will bring up in their open-ended answers. And also, I, this, I think this survey is a starting point. It's not something that's going to determine, that's not going to seriously determine like where that funding goes exactly. It's something that schools can use to do further research. So I think it's okay, as it is right now, just leaving, just kind of getting the ball rolling. Thank you. I would ask, this might be a question for Josh, how, I, I don't think we can really move to approve it with the amendment that it will be multiple choice. Like I think that that's, it's not like a grammatical error, it's like a substantial change. So I feel like we would need a written proposal for what those multiple choice questions would be. Am I, what's your thought on it? Well, it could just list the amendment in the motion. It's kind of like when we have an amended motion, like for BPPs, it was like there was an amended motion for the title. We could just say we 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 moved to pass this with the listed amendment. I know, but what I'm saying is that it, we had a we had a like thing that we were talking about as opposed to this, which is that the amendment is just to make it multiple choice, but we don't know what the multiple choice would be. Like, I, like, I'm just, that strays the line a little bit, is my feeling. Is, is there, like, a rush on the timeline for this? Well, it was expected to be passed today by CEC. But, like... Because we, it was sent out early. Do we have a deadline that we're trying to meet? It seems like DCYF isn't even ready to accept applications. I believe um, CEC wanted to send this out by March 31st which is before the next full commission meeting, so then they have the entire April to collect um, responses. Do we know like when the deadline for the next like SFUSD high school newsletter is? Because I know that's generally how we get a lot of responses. That is a factor in how we uh, get responses. Um, but see, for, seeing from Commissioner Udding's um, survey, we actually get a lot from other factors as well. Um, but that is the second Friday of April and um, that is halfway through April, and it is up to CEC to determine whether or not that two weeks is sufficient. Can I add something? It's up to you too. We are also gonna spread this um, survey to like other community organizations that focus on like youth <coughs> issues, so we'll have like a different source of like getting those results. So for example, Coleman Advocates today. 
So did you guys still want to move forward with the motion? I would prefer to. Yeah. Okay. Then if one of you makes it. So should I be specific in what changes we would be making to the second question in terms of multiple choice answers? Yeah, like name it. Okay. Um, <coughs> what do you think? Also, you can take a second to like write it down do if you want, want to. Like, do we have to? Well, I think we just want to give them a minute to, to work on it. Okay, yeah, we can take a five-minute recess. Okay. Oh, we're taking, wait, wait, what? What happened? We're taking a five-minute recess. Oh, okay. Not, wait, not during a motion? Wait, there was no motion, right? There's no motion yet. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, I call this meeting back to order at 7.46 p.m. Um, were you guys able to figure out a motion? Yes. Or, yeah. um, okay, so after discussing with Commissioner Pimentel, staff, and other commissioners, I'm going to motion to pass the survey as it is without any changes. Um, and this is because we believe that the first two questions allow students more liberation in their answers and gives us more specific answers rather than just putting boxes for them to check off. I think that we really want students to think about what they think challenges are for them, for students, and what changes they personally want to see. Um, and an example of this is like if we made a box about like mental health, there are so many things that fit into mental health, and so we want students to be able to really explain um, their answers. Do you want to add anything? No, I think you said everything. Okay, yeah. So I motion to uh, pass this. I second. Commissioner Loftus seconds motion. Thank you. Is there any discussion on this motion? I mean, ultimately, I'll vote for it because, I don't know, it's just a survey. It's just collecting data. You know, it, I, I'm not the one who has to deal with the data at the end of the day. But um, I don't know. I, I think it would be helpful, as we've previously mentioned, to have, you know, more like quotable data for a future resolution to just have boxes. And you can still have a other category. You can still have a thing after that's, you know, would you like to elaborate on your answer? I just feel like it's not going to get as many responses when it's more complicated to like fill out. And maybe that's fine if that's what you're going for. Like, Maybe they'll be higher quality or like deeper, but I don't know. I just I, I would I would recommend adding a second multiple choice, perhaps with a further explanation section. But I'll vote for it. I don't. Really I think that Commissioner Miller makes a great point that he won't be the one sorting through the data. So since you two will, uh, <laughs> I think this is a great way to avoid any kind of framing bias on the respondents. I just want to note that it's 7.48 and we still have a lot of the agenda to move through. So I just want, we're trying to be a little bit more mindful of time going forward. So I would just add that 
I will also be voting for it, but I think in the future I would appreciate if there were just more opportunities for the data to be like used in a way that's easier. Like, I mean, obviously like you can definitely look through every single response. Say we get like 500, you can read every single response, but I think it would be easier if it was multiple choice and we were able to compare the issues side by side. Um, but I will be voting for it just because I think it does allow students the opportunity to voice their concerns about how they want money to go to SFUSD schools. Um, but yeah, that's it. Anything else? All right. Is there any public comment on this motion? Chair Wen, there is no public comment. Okay. Um, staff, can you please take a roll call vote? On that motion, uh, Commissioner Wong? Aye. Commissioner Wong? Aye. Uh, Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Miller? Aye. Commissioner Miller? Aye. Officer Lasana? Aye. Officer Lasana? Aye. Commissioner Onish? Aye. Commissioner Onish? Aye. Officer Udding? Aye. Officer Udding? Aye. Uh, Commissioner uh, Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum? Aye. Officer Hum, aye. Officer Shaw? Aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Uh, Commissioner M? Aye. Commissioner M, aye. Commissioner Hillman? Aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. And then uh, Commissioner Terrell? Aye. Commissioner Terrell, aye. Chair Wynn? Aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Uh, with 16 ayes, the motion passes. Okay, so congrats to Commissioner Colleen and to Commissioner Pimentel for passing the survey. I want to say um, thank you for all of your work on it. And um, regardless of like how the survey is structured or anything, I, I really do appreciate that you guys are creating the opportunity for SFUSD students to voice their concerns about how money should be spent. Um, so thank you for that. Clerk, can you please call item number nine? Um, item number nine is AB 800 support letter. Okay, so I'll pass it off to Commissioner Barker Plummer and Pimentel. Yeah, um, this is just following requests from Assemblymember Ortega's office. Uh, two weeks ago at our last meeting, we passed a resolution in support of AB 800. Um, they, I then promptly emailed them and within two hours their office emailed me back um, and they were very excited for our support. They um, thanked us and thanked all of us for that support. Um, as well as requested that we send a letter on behalf of the commission to Assemblymember Ortega's office, um, which should be passed by the full commission and will be signed off by Chair Wynn. Um, so that's what uh, this is for. I think if you go one further, it's like... No, it's just one page. No, there's more, more stuff. Yeah. No? There, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I think I confused. Okay. There you go. This is what I yeah. put on the <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, so this is the letter. Do we need to read it into the record or can we? Did you this what? isn't a resolution. This is a, this is a letter instead of the resolution. Do we have to? So this is basically public comment. What? Wouldn't this be public comment if it's the, if them sending a letter to us supporting us? Okay. I don't think so then. I don't think you need to read it. Okay. Can you just explain what AB 800 is? 
again. Yes, it is. Um, I don't know if Commissioner Pimentel wants to. No, you can go. Okay. <laughs> um, it creates a workplace readiness week for California high schools to educate students on the labor movement and their rights um, as labor as workers. Um, as well as requires that any time a work permit is given out to a minor that they are provided with information on um, uh, on their rights as employed minors. Cool beans. Um, so is there a motion on the table or are there any questions about this? Seeing none, is there a motion on the table? Motion to approve. Second it. Commissioner Barker Plummer motions to approve this letter, seconded by Commissioner Pimentel. Um, is there any discussion on this motion? Seeing none, is there any public comment? Chair Wynn, there is no public comment. You want to do a voice vote? Yeah. All those in favor of approving this, please say aye. Aye. All those opposed say nay. Great, congrats to Commissioner Barker Plummer. The letter passes. Um, thank you for your work on this. Uh, clerk, can you please call item number 10? Item number 10 is 2023-2024 recruitment application. Um, I'm gonna go by it really quickly. Uh, so this is the uh, tentative uh, timeline. Um, the application will be opening April 1st and then um, the application will be due May 31st, but in between that, there's like uh, we do like an open house, which y'all have gotten uh, two calendar invites, one Zoom, one in person, um, and then like starting like June 1st, staff and uh, non-returners start reviewing the applications, and uh, June 1st to June 27th. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't have like that up, so I'm like looking at the screen, Joy. Um, we do interviews, so um, historically we interview every applicant. So last year it was roughly 40. 40. <laughs> I keep adding to it. I would say like 50 or 60 and then people are like, what? Um, yeah, we interviewed 40 people last year, which is a lot because, you know, it's like 45 minutes to an hour. And, you know, some people did take the full hour. So it's like 40 hours of interviews and that doesn't, you know, add up to uh, grading everyone's application, the interview process, putting everything together, it's a long time. Um, what's important though is that uh, from June 27th to July 7th, that's the BOS's process of selecting their appointment, and then from uh, July uh, 7th to the 21st, um, that is when the mayor selects her appointments. Um, fall orientation will be August 25th to the 27th. We changed it up so you all can enjoy your three-day weekend uh, for Labor Day, I, I know. Um, and then <laughs> uh, week of September 10th or 16th, um, that will be inauguration. We'll work with the mayor's office on that. Um, August 8th, we'll be doing another joint social with outgoing YC and then the new YC. Um, and then our first uh, YC meeting of that term will be September 18th, and then um, the mid-year retreat will be January 20 and 21. So we also took that into consideration. Uh, and then if you keep scrolling, uh, this is the um, application. 
Um, one thing to note is that we combined uh, the question three and four from last year into now uh, three. Uh, basically just highlighting what crucial issues are there and what would you advise the mayor and the board of supervisors on. Um, and then from the word count as well, so it used to be like 350 to 600 words, now it's 200 to 400 words, which was another really great suggestion. Um, and yeah, there's also like, yeah, that's, a, that's basically it. It's kind of the same questions as last year. Um, the application will be a Google form. Um, and then recruitment will be starting soon. Any questions? Yeah. Is it going to be a Google form again? And this is like the docs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be Sorry. a Google form again. I think it was way easier than just getting like a bunch of PDFs. Yeah, I feel like. Candidates are interviewed? Yeah, yeah every single candidate is interviewed. For this commission? Yeah. Yeah. And then. Some board of supervisors and the mayor may do an additional interview process as well. I can also clarify a little bit. Um, all appointments to the Youth Commission are up to the discretion of appointing officers. So technically they wouldn't, sometimes some people don't have to apply and they can still choose someone either yeah, in or outside of the applicant Let me clarify, pool. interviewed by you guys. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. I was on a farm in Ireland, so. <laughs> we, no, we, we know that. We know that. There are some people who were, like, exchanged, like, in, in, like, South Korea, and, like, they couldn't interview at all. So there is some, like, extreme circumstances. Um, I also forgot to mention, people could also submit a video <coughs> as their application rather than write five tiny essays. It's like you see make a video. Yeah. No, it's five. Yeah. Um, and also to know if you're non-returning, we highly recommend you to be a part of the interview process. Um, so that's also an option. But yeah, any other questions? Um, I had a question. I saw you put some dates like in Google Calendar for like the socials and stuff. Are we we're approving those, right? Yeah, I yeah. So I uh, we met with um, the comms team since mm -hmm. they're the ones who. Uh, plan the socials. I don't have them on the top of my head, um, but one is our Zoom social, which is the end of uh, April. And well, it's our open house, like recruitment date. Sorry, I, I know. I uh, okay. Sorry. Let me rephrase this. The two I have sent many calendar invites. I do acknowledge that. But the, <laughs> the top two ones in regards to this recruitment, one was be for Zoom accessibility, it's, a, it's our open house, so like what is the youth commission, why you should apply, and then um, for the other one, which is in the beginning of May, um, it still gives like roughly a month for people to apply, uh, that is our in-person, and we're hoping to get one of like the mayor's conference rooms and host people there. So yeah, so I, I already sent those for, for y'all to come and, and talk about your experience as like a current commissioner to potential new commissioners. Yeah, we can talk about this later, but I don't think I'll be able to meet, make the, the second one in May. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, are there any other questions? Also to note, 90% of you are leaving, so we really do need to do recruitment. Guess I gotta stay then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and Wood, though. <laughs> You and Mike. <laughs>
Okay, um, if there are no questions, um, we're not taking any action, right? So, okay. You have to. It ha this process has to be approved by the commission today. Okay. Can I motion to approve the recruitment plan? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Cool. Seconded. Application and recruitment plan. Motion to approve the application and recruitment plan. Seconded. Is there any public comment or discu discussion on this motion? Seeing none, is there any public comment? Uh, there's no public comment, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, can we please take a voice vote? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed say nay. <laughs> Great. So the recruitment application has passed. Thank you, staff, for all of your work on this. Um, can we please call item number 11? Um, item number 11 is the sugary soda tax application review. Um, Okay, so I, I can talk a little bit about uh, just what it is. So a few years ago, um, there was like a tax regarding like sugary drinks, um, and there's an advisory committee, and seat <coughs> six is the historic like youth uh, seat. Uh, so that got vacated in late December of 2022. Um, we opened the application process early in January. Uh, I think there was just maybe some confusion. No one applied, so we opened up again. And we got an applicant, uh, Linda Yee. Uh, they go to urban school. Um, just like by reading their application, they're a really great candidate. And we talked a lot about it in the exec committee on just like their involvement. Um, and yeah, I think there, there was a concern regarding if they could do the two-year term. Um, but with the C itself, uh, you can be up to the age of 19 and serve. And, you know, we could always, they could always step down from their position and we could appoint somebody else if, if they did decide to step down uh, for whatever reason before their term is over, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, from what I know, um, my friend currently serves on the youth seat right now and, like, she's already termed out. So I think they, like, desperately need a youth to fill the seat. And I think if we have someone that's enthusiastic about the position, we should just appoint them as soon as possible. And when the time comes, we can find someone else. Great. Can I motion to, do I just say motion to appoint Linda Yee to the Sugary Dinks Drinks? Nominate. Oh. Okay, nominate, I motion to nominate Linda Yee for the position of Sugary Drinks Distributor Tax Advisory Committee seat six. Seconded. Um, Commissioner Miller motions to nominate Linda Yee to the Sugary Soda Tax Committee, seconded by Commissioner Wynn. Um, is there any public comment on this motion? Uh, there's no public comment. Okay, um, let's take a voice vote. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed say nay. Great, thank you. Um, can you please call item number 12? Item number 12 is committee reports. Okay, so beginning with the executive committee, um, I'll pass it off to officers Shaw and Hum. All right, so, um, can you hear me? Okay, for the LAO report, um, kind of starting off with BOS related, 
Um, so earlier, uh, last uh, full YC, we mentioned how we were pushing two pieces of legislation directly to the BOS. Uh, we're still waiting to hear back from them. So once we um, hear back from them, then we'll continue pushing resolution resolutions that you all want. Um, and so just to keep in mind, if you have any resolutions as we continue uh, writing them and passing them that you want to send that you want us to send directly to the BOS, just let um, us know. Also. Um, Joy and Josh can speak more on this, but recently they visited the, or talked with the Vision Zero Task Force um, because of the resolution that we made. And so we're just continuing to reach out to them and work with how we can open up that youth seat and be involved in further conversations. Um, as far as uh, the BOS's meeting, we haven't referred any uh, legislations from this past week. Um, and going forward, we want to test out a new process with referring legislation. Um, just to kind of see how it goes and test it out. So we were thinking of, um, right now we have it to where the chairs refer legislation, but we wanted to make it to where once they refer, that they then talk with their committees over that specific legislation, um, just to get like a broader understanding of why you want that piece and just to make sure everyone's on board with that specific topic. And then once the committee approves, we would then send it to the full YC. Um, so that's just something that's new that we just want to test out just to make sure we include everyone's voice um, and kind of go from there. So we'll test it out, see how it works, and just um, makeshift and troubleshoot from there. Commissioner um, Hum? Yes, so the purpose of the change is to essentially shorten our debate time in the full commission. So by being able to discuss that resolution in your committees and providing a report to the full commission, hopefully that will speed up our process here. And that concludes our report. Great, thank you. Um, I'll pass it off to, or are there any questions for the LAOs? If not, I'll pass it off to officers Listana and Utting. Okay, okay. Um, so this, we're just kind of continuing on the things that we reported during the last meeting, including reaching out to um, uh, Youth Commission alumni about uh, create an alumni page on LinkedIn that we're going to create and um, reaching out about presentations in schools. We have signups, so we're hoping to do those soon. And also a reminder that takeovers work will continue. We took a break last week because the signups were made when we had more commissioners, so we had some slots that would naturally be empty. But next week is, I believe it's Commissioner M. So, isn't it? Okay, oh wait, this week is, it's Monday, sorry. <laughs> this week is Commissioner M, um, and so we look forward to seeing that and we'll keep reaching out to people when it's their week. Yes, I did mention oh, okay. the school presentation. Oh, yeah. Um, and just a reminder, if anyone is, like, any youth events in SF that's happening that they want, like, the Youth Commission Instagram to highlight, um, please send it to us that would, so we can post it on our Instagram. Great. Thank you. Looking forward to the takeover by Commissioner Im. Um, moving on to general committee updates, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the, executive <coughs> the executive committee met last Wednesday, March 15th. We discussed the March 6th full youth commission meeting. 
practice our BPP presentation to the Board of Supervisors, Budget and Appropriations Committee, which will be happening on Wednesday. Thank you to Commissioners Colleen, Miller, and LGBTQ Task Force member Rafer for joining us. Am I forgetting anyone else? Chloe and uh, Alistair. Chloe went there and Alistair went there. Oh, at the exact meeting. Yeah, okay. Um, for the exact meeting, yeah. Um, we continued planning for our budget town hall and received the plan for the Youth Commission recruitment for the 2023-2024 term we just approved. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Moving on to the Housing, Recreation, and Transit <laughs> Committee. Um, we met last week for a whopping 30 minutes. Um, just the quickest our meetings have ever gone. And basically, we went over resolutions that we might want to introduce in the future, and then just like housekeeping things, but nothing really big that we mentioned. Anything to add? Um, I just add that we are uh, working on a bike resolution specifically, and we're going to meet with um, the District 6 office, or they're going to come to HRT. Um, and we're also in communication with the D5 office. Yeah, we received a report about municipal bike share from the D5 office that I'm looking into currently, sorry. And um, we're, we're also um, looking, I think, was it at the last full youth commission meeting that the um, Claire from the bike coalition came um, in regards to the active transportation plan? So we've reached out to them for a possible um, collaboration event um, to get more youth input on their plan. And I think that's our report. Thank you. Um, moving on to the Civic Engagement and Education Committee. Hey, all, it's Commissioner Hum. Um, two weeks ago during our CEC meeting, we talked about Vote 16 grant updates, um, including the Civic Engagement, Engagement Survey, um, as well as the Prop G Community Input, input Survey. That concludes our report. Thank you. Any questions? Then we'll move to the Transformative Justice Committee. Yeah, we met last week and had a presentation from the Latino Task Force um, to hear about their budget and programming. What else did we do? I think that was it. That was basically. Yeah, I think that was most of our meeting. Great. Thank you. Any questions? And the LGBTQ plus task force. Um, we haven't met since last meeting, but we are planning to do like a check-in with the chair and vice chair this week. That's it. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, and then, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? Uh, there's no public comment. Great, thank you. Public comment is now closed. Can you please call item number 13? Um, item number 13 is roll call and introductions. Um, great. So as a reminder, um, roll call and introductions allow for you to introduce new hearings, um, letters of inquiry, resolutions, and also are opportunities for you to report on the work that you've been doing. Um, Could I quickly take a point of personal privilege? Yes, go ahead. Um, and we'll start off with Commissioner Colleen, if you're ready. Yes. All right. So. Um, I was working on the Prop G survey with Commissioner Pimentel, which we just passed today. I've also been writing a letter of support for SB 472, which is about implementing an Arcan program in California schools. I'm also writing 
um, two letters of support um, supporting the Latino Task Force budget ask and the Human Rights Commission budget ask. I'm also in the works of writing a resolution on school disciplinary reform. Um, and I will be also presenting at the Human Rights Commission this Thursday about Women's History Month as well as for the BOS um, BPP um, meeting on Wednesday. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Im. Um, so like Ash or Commissioner Ating mentioned, I will be doing the Instagram takeover this week that I will start right after this meeting. And I have been thinking about proposing a new resolution during our, or just like brainstorming a resolution about like access to city college from SFUSD schools. Um, just like seeing the current application process and the fruition, oh, the fruition of a lot of these CSUs and UC applications coming out this college application season, and I was just like thinking about that, going through with that, and yeah. Great, thank you. Commissioner Wong? Um, I've also been preparing to, um, you know, prepare my presentation to the Board of Supervisors for our BPP presentation on Wednesday. Um, Alistair and I are also beginning to work on a resolution regarding 78 Haight Street, which was um, uh, a building dedicated for uh, housing for transitional aged youth. Um, we are also currently coming up with questions to the uh, project manager because there's limited coverage on the internet about the project, so um, that's what I've been up to. Great, thank you. Um, Commissioner Pimentel. Um, I've been working on the Prop G survey with Commissioner Colleen. I am meeting with um, YCD this Friday to talk about the possibility to work on, basically make a D10 <coughs> council um, and basically just talk about the outline and so on. Um, and then we've been having weekly meetings with the Young Women's Freedom Center with Commissioner Colleen. And yeah, that's all I could think about right now. Great, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Hillman? What I'm going to be working on this week, <clears throat> um, I'll be working on a resolution with uh, Raven on gun regulations. So, excited for that, so yeah. Thank you. Commissioner Listana? Um, recently, I've just been working on, <laughs> recently I've just been working on like the slides for the budget presentation and um, like also preparing for the presentation at the Human Rights Commission. Um, but apart from that, I don't really have any other updates. Oh, and also just like calm stuff. Yeah, that's all I've been working on. Great, thank you. And lastly, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Thank you, Chair Wynn. Um, over the past couple of weeks, uh, myself and Commissioner Utting have been working pretty closely um, on the issues of school safety and um, concerns around that, especially when it comes to school safety infrastructure um, and gun violence policies. Um, this is an important issue, one that uh, I know a lot of SFUSD students, families, teachers um, care a lot about and have had concerns recently about. Um, so that's why we are calling a hearing to discuss and understand the current status of school safety policies, procedures, and infrastructure at San Francisco Unified School sites, and requesting the San Francisco Unified School District and San Francisco Police Department to report. I don't know if you want to add. I have a question. Sorry, go ahead. You know, I'll let Yosla go ahead for the second time. Is there a date for this hearing? No, we're introducing it right now. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you have a date in mind? Like, is this April or May? I think at this point, May. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then other things that we've been working, I've been working on, um, are continuing to meet with people about school safety, um, working on the LGBTQ task force, um, honoring Lyric and other organizations. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, Chair, one point of privilege. Yeah, go ahead. Um, great. Please do keep us updated on that hearing. And then moving to any other legislative introductions. So I guess you would have done that then, but it's all good. <laughs> um, okay. Are there any questions regarding any of the roll call and introductions? Seeing none, um, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? Chairwin, there's no public comment. Great, thank you. Can you please call item number 14? Item number 14 is staff report. Um, I will be emailing mine tomorrow. Thank you. Same. <laughs> yeah, I tell you all, all mine anyway. Okay, awesome, thank you. Um, and then moving on to, uh, or is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? Uh, there's no public comment. Okay. Um, can you please call item number 15? Item number 15 is announcements. Okay, so now is the time for any community announcements. Um, does anyone have any announcements? I'm looking in my calendar. Um, I have one. I, I saw um, that there's a Muni Raised Me art exhibit um, in the SOMA, and it looks like a really interesting museum exhibit. And I think it's open until like, mid-April, so um, if people are interested in that, please check it out. On, on um, the 25th, this Saturday, there is a Youth for Trans Liberation March from 11 to 1. Okay, this is my quick. On a point of personal privilege. Um, I can follow up with more information on that. Um, I believe it'll be starting somewhere in the Tenderloin and going to City Hall, is my understanding. And then, sorry, on the 31st, there's a school walkout for LGBTQ youth across the country here in San Francisco, which I'll also follow up with more about. Great, thank you. Any other announcements? Um, if not, can um, you please? Yeah. I was waiting to see if there were other commissioners. Um, the San Francisco Department of Environment invited the Youth Commission. It's unfortunately also on the 25th. Um, it is um, the Zero Waste Youth USA Day of Action. It is at 1155 Market Street, it's the third floor. I sent you all a, a calendar invite and um, space is li limited according to them and there is a bit.ly link to RSVP. Um, but up to you all to see which event it goes to. Great, thank you. Um, seeing that there's nothing else, can you please call item number 16? Um, item number 60 is adjournment. This meeting is adjourned at 8.20 p.m. Thank you. Oh, Our second choice meeting. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs>